This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, friends. Happy Tuesday to you uh, on Valentine's Day Eve. We wish you the very best. It's exciting, although (laughs) I don't like you shedding light on the fact that I'm totally not prepared. Well, but you still have today. I've had this conversation with my wife, though. She doesn't think we need to get each other a gift. We'll just go to a nice dinner and no pressure for tomorrow. Okay. Yeah, don't fall for that trap. That's a trap. (laughs) She's trying to... She's she's wondering if you will actually step up. It's a trap! It's a trap! You know what? Everybody's different on this one. She... Sometimes the most romantic thing you can do for someone is vacuum the house. So you don't think it's possible that she's being genuine? Yeah, it might be. Okay. It's possible. I think what your wife wants most of all is a furnace. We got it fixed. Well, knock on yeah, wood. So basically what I told my wife, because we've already pumped 500 bucks into this furnace. Yeah. So I basically told my wife, we've got these furnace guys on a $500 retainer because they keep <laughs> coming back and performing the service for free because they guarantee their work. And right. uh, so for the time being, it's working. Well, maybe you ought to just move in, charge rent. They just have them come live with you. <laughs> that would be. That's not a bad idea. It's not a bad idea. That's why they, you know. That's why I'm the. That's why I'm the good doctor. So we're up to Not four to different repairmen that Are have come really? to take a look at it. Yep. You know what you should have done with that five hundred dollars is just buy more wood and burn the wood, <laughs> and then in the summer that's only a band aid. You've got all year, and then you've got the rest of the year to pay it off. That's that's only a band aid. I know. Sad day. Hey, um, Olympic news. Uh, American loser Emily Sweeney was sent to the hospital after a crash. Ooh, heard about that. That's not good. No. You're not wanting. I mean, we always, the news is always, hey, the Americans want another gold. I think a lot of Americans right now can't believe we're not winning more. But, hey. Are we all that surprised, though, when people in those types of events get horribly injured? No, that's dangerous. Yeah. Have you ever... I've never done it. My father-in-law went down the bobsled uh, track in really? uh, up here in Park City and came out basically with whiplash. Like Ugh. like his like not good for days. So it's a it's a hard thing. You have to you have to really be ready to you know, hurt die? yourself. Yeah. Not die. You don't well. want to die. Yeah, US loser Emily Sweeney suffered a frightening cat crash Tuesday at the women's single competition during the Winter Olympics. Sweeney was in her fourth run in Curve 9 when she bounced around the track before crashing. Oh, See, that I just get chills hearing you describe that. She walked away. It's all good. But she did walk away holding her head. Scary. But, you know, you can't be an Olympic athlete without putting it out there. That's what one of those rings is for. One of the five rings of the Olympic rings, are there five? Uh, One of them is for pain and suffering. Remember yesterday we talked about the agony of defeat. Yeah. Pretty sure. Wow. But uh, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of other good news. Um, one, of our, uh, one of our, what do they call them, snowboarders won a gold medal. Was it Sean White? You don't hear much about him winning these days. Yeah, I wonder what that's about. No, it was uh, Chloe Kim. Huh. Got a gold, another gold for the snowboarding team. Pretty cool. Pretty cool. Everybody's into the medal tracking, too. Is that what this is really about? 
which country is winning the most medals? Of course. I mean, can't we just be happy right now? I mean, at the end, let's count the medals. But to have an hourly count, that seems like... No, 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 no. We might be missing the point. No, it, you're wrong. It's all about what Ivan Drago from Rocky Four said. I will crush you or I will break you. Hmm. I must break you. Well, it was one of those. You. So let me get this straight. You just went to a Rocky Four. By the yes. way, a lot of people would have missed Four. Uh, if you ask a lot of people, that's their favorite. Really? I'm not one of those people, but I can appreciate the uh, humor in it, I guess. I didn't know Rocky was known for his humor. Come on, the slurred speech, the eat, the drinking of the eggs. Mm. That's not bad. Not good either. Today we'll be talking about why the <laughs> flu is so bad. It's even worse when you're when the problem isn't the flu; it's the um, it's the uh, egg virus, the bird avian flu. Wasn't that? I think you were just doing Rocky with the flu. Mm-hmm. That was him with a major <laughs> sinus infection and head cold. Um, the neat thing about, I think, this, the Olympics being on is we're not as fixated on politics. Hmm. So I that have is, found that to be that quite – refreshing. Quite a, quite a gift, but quite you a guys, blessing. You guys are watching these. You're actually sitting down and watching them. Yeah, yeah. I think I'm, I'm more interested in the human interest side of the yeah, story when too. they do those, those packages that they show before. Those are always a little risky, though, mm-hmm. because I always remember watching them for Apollo Ono. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then he, something happens. Yeah, something happens. He doesn't win a medal. So they're a little risky. No, they're a lot risky. But I think that is the interesting part of the story is to see the struggle, to see all the, the obstacles that they've had to overcome to get to where they're at now. Yeah. In fact, um, you know, the, the most, I think, in, interest, interesting or intriguing in human interest story is the fact that North and South Korea are getting along really well. Did you hear what Kim Jong-un said? No. He's impressed with South Korea's efforts during the games. Wow. Like, he doesn't talk like that. Maybe this could be a good thing. Maybe it's, this it's can happening. help bridge a gap. It's happening. I mean, sure, Mike Pence... Didn't dare he couldn't talk to the South or the North Koreans, but the North Koreans are starting to be really nice. Something's weird. So some good could come of this. this Even with injuries aside, something good's going to come yeah. of this. Something good is slowly happening in the Olympic world. And by the way, the spirit of united countries, that's what it's all about anyway. It's about that's one of the other rings, unifying the globe. Mm, I think if we're honest, it's really about the medals. Yeah, it's probably about the medals. Until you find out how much tax you have to pay for your medal. That ain't so easy either. <laughs> Let's get to the headlines with Terry South. Terry, what else should we be paying attention to? On Monday, White House Press Secretary Sarah Huckabee Sanders addressed the controversy surrounding Rob Porter, former White House Staff Secretary, accused of domestic violence. In the aftermath of the allegations and Porter's departure, President Trump himself reminded reporters on Friday that Porter says he's innocent. He also tweeted Saturday that lives are being shattered and destroyed by mere allegations. Yes. Reading from prepared remarks on Monday, Sanders insisted that Trump supports victims of domestic violence and believes everyone deserves to be treated fairly and with due process. There you go. Even the victims. Yes. Yeah. The press corps was not placated that easily as ABC News Cecilia Vega asked Trump uh, why he hasn't made any statements supporting the victims. Yeah. Right? His public statement was 
She's it wasn't anything Porter, for the Rob victim. Porter, poor Rob Porter. Yeah. So uh, Sanders maintained that she was relaying Trump's words as dictated to her. She is the president's spokesperson. He told me this is what he wanted me to say. This is what I said. Oh wow! And so they're like, "Why didn't the president say it?" And she goes, "I'm his spokesperson. It's the same thing." Yeah. Hmm. She. I mean, maybe they're the same person. <laughs> oh, I don't know. And then it's the Sanders uh, Vega press center is asking, "Does Trump believe Rob Porter's accusers, or are they lying?" Sanders repeatedly said the uh, repeated saying the president takes domestic violence very seriously, and also a firm believer in due process. Vega pointed out that Sanders didn't answer the question. And Sanders replied, I'm not going beyond that. Yeah. So that was the... Well, there we go. So we left tense. it a nice, murky gray. And, I mean, is, I mean, it, this, is this, it enough that the spokesperson says it? Does the president have to say it? When he's already made comments... Right. I mean, remember, he's tweeting all day. So it, it seems like if you want it to really have impact, he ought to say it. Yeah. Out of his mouth or out of his tweet. But apparently that's not needed. I'm not sure. No, it's needed. It was interesting to watch the video of it. You're like, this is interesting. It's called gaslighting. Yeah, exactly. Say one thing, do another. Yeah. Say it's all the same. Yeah. But, oh, well. Uh, life is like a box of chocolates and rebuilding America's infrastructure is akin to erecting an ice skating rink. Really? Hmm? So claimed the president on Monday speaking to reporters on the heels of his administration's unveiling of its long-delayed and much-hyped infrastructure plan. Remember, he mentioned that on... Election night. Yeah. The 55-page plan calls for $1.5 trillion investment to improve freeways, bridges, and water resources across the U.S., just $200 billion of which would come from the federal government. The rest would be provided by private or local matches. In, 1980, in the 1980s, Trump helped renovate Wolfman Rink, a process that had been stalled for years before he stepped in. I believe it's around the Central Park area. Uh, to President's credit, he did indeed finish the construction of the ice rink under budget and quicker than expected. Wow. Trump came in at about 750000 under the $3 million budget allotted to the project, the New York Times reported at the time, for a rough total investment of $2.25 million, or in other words, significantly less than 1% of the budget of Trump's infrastructure plan. Yeah, so it's a, it's a so, lot like that, except it's, you know, 100 times more. Yeah. And across the entire country, well, and the thing that worries some people is that it's going to be a lot of private investment. Mm-hmm. But that could be a really good thing because private investment means that people own it, people take care of it, people make money on it, and in the end, uh, it might be actually better cared for than possibly something that was just purely public. Right. I mean, if you compare a public park mm. to a park in the middle of a gated community, it's oh. different. Sure. That it also means fewer people can access certain things. Well, that would be the, pay. the question is it's still public. Yeah. But it's private. Then it just ends up. Yeah, public access. You just have to write a check to get on the tollway. I guess. That, that'd be how you pay for it, is through a toll system. An Indiana female high school senior disarmed a male student who came at her with a knife, according wow. to ABC. The girl was in a bathroom of her high school in Carmel, Indiana, or Carmel. Caramel? Carmel? Mm. I like caramel. I like nougat. Is that, a re- is that a regional <laughs> distinction on the show? Yeah, I think it depends. Where so Carmel, from. Indiana, just north of Indianapolis, Thursday afternoon, when the male student came in, came with a knife and tried to attack her, according to the police. The female student, who is a black belt in Taekwondo, oh, boy. was awesome. able to defend herself against yeah. the attempt, take the knife away. She yeah. says, I'm no hero. I just resorted to what I have learned. 
That is awesome. I love these stories I when the people that the, the perpetrators don't realize who they're fighting. No, you oh, just unleash the kraken. Yeah. So, and he, she was in the bathroom. So leave her alone. Well, yeah. Some, he had some other. Yeah. So boy. there's there, there's still no reports on motive or any of that. Just the fact that she. So no relationship. No. Wow. Other than human. That's cool. Weird. Uh, New Jersey's capital. This story confused me to no end last night. Why? The headline is New Jersey capital to use lasers and audio to get rid of crows. Now, I thought it said cows. Oh. Right. I, I, for yeah, some yeah. reason, well, I, my mind dropped the R. It was late. I bet yeah. it was late. So, New Jersey's capital is taking a high-tech approach to getting rid of an estimated 3,000 crows that are waking up residents and leaving droppings behind. Oh, so the cows just go and drop things. Well, the crows. Yeah, the cows do. So, I read it first as crows, <laughs> and I'm like, how do you not get rid of 30,000 cows wandering New Jersey's capital? <laughs> That doesn't make any sense. You'd think that would be like Ooh, yeah. bigger news. That's yeah, you'd think everyone would hear about I mean, that. You're like, oh, it's crows. They're just flying around. Okay. But they're yeah, that would be scary. Yeah. Have you seen a crow? They're they're well, pretty intense. It, it gets weir- weirder when you substitute cows for crows, but we'll go on. Oh, yeah. The US Agriculture Department on Tuesday will begin using pyrotechnics, laser spotlights, amplified recordings of crow distress calls. And crow effigies to try to scare the birds away. So I'm reading all this, going cow distress calls, cow effigy. What? What is what happening? Does this even come down? What is a cow distress call? Isn't it all just the same? You know? No, I've fallen and can't get up. I don't know. So the USDA district supervisor, so geriatric cow impersonation. Yeah, it's hard okay. to do a geriatric cow. <laughs> so <laughs> officials say the crows and other birds in the winter uh, form large roosts. They say the crows look for areas where there is less light and few people. Such as parking lots. Ah, they're they're introverts. They say that the, their methods have worked to clear the crows from urban areas. Wildlife officials will spend four consecutive nights in Trenton until February 23rd, making sure the crows, not the cows, oh, are out wow. of town. I thought they just had problems with cows up on billboards, painting. Yeah, you know, that's doing their cows graffiti, climbing up there. Yeah, yeah. that's weird. Can't spell, and they're always anti anti chicken. What's up with the chickens? They have a hard enough life. Actually, Eat no. Chickens. I think they are. They're pro chicken. Oh yeah, they're anti eating cow. Yeah, <laughs> they're pro eating chicken. Wow. Okay, so yeah. you figured that out. Yeah, that was so. I was sitting there last night, like, could not figure out how do you have a cow problem in the <laughs> middle of a metropolitan area? And I'm like, oh, it's crows. I need to go to bed. Okay. Yeah, that was. That's that's what that's the sign. Once you start slurring. Your words and your speech. Um, United States. Just like that. Take a nap, Mr. President. Just like or that. Or lay off the Sudafed, whichever. Or get a drink. Just get some liquid in you. You're probably dehydrated. So a couple weeks, it was it last week, the president's walking up the steps to Air Force One. Yeah. The wind hits the back yeah. of his hair. Everyone gets this glimpse of whatever's going on up there. There's been several websites that have employed plastic surgeons to try to figure out from the photographs what exactly is happening. Oh, come on. Because they're they're seeing like there's some scars, like surgical type scars that have happened there. And they're they're all trying to guess and try to estimate from the given information, the evidence at hand. But why don't you just assume that? What's going on with his hair? You know, that, that was just a weird angle. The back of his head? Weird wind. Hmm. I it's just I find it interesting. This how, is, by the way, why the MAGA ha, MAGA hat became such a big deal. And a lot of people were saying, "Make that America that's, great." That's that he why needed he wears the hat, the hat to get to the plane without his hair blowing everywhere. <laughs> it's 
it's a hard we, thing. I, I brought you about a year and a half ago a BuzzFeed investigation yeah. into a possible company that he purchased for his own usage for his hair products. Really? That's in Trump Tower. They had an office. I'm not sure they're still there, but well, there's been a lot of reporting around you know what? what's going on. It doesn't. With hair. It's just it's just hair. I know. It's just I'd laugh. I mean, how many? Everybody's got their little body vice issue, mm-hmm. right? Like my it's me and my abs. You know? Really? Just are you self conscious? Or that it was your grankles? No. You spend a lot of time talking about your ankles. Well, lately, because I fell and about, I think I did break my ankle, mm. but I didn't, because even to this day, when the cows like a- are flying in Jersey, <laughs> Jersey. <laughs> my ankles hurt. Okay. Well, might just be the weather, arthritis? No. No? Not arthritis? I don't know why you have to make it an old issue. It's not an old issue, but a lot of people deal with arthritis on a daily basis. Yeah. You're the one that made it an old issue. Uh, speaking of old issues, Sean White, the snowboarder, yes. is leading the pack. Uh, the, so the American Sean White is leading the half pipe uh, pack. He's now qualified for the finals, I guess. Ooh! So he could get that gold. He could pick get up the some gold. more endorsements. Mm-hmm. The ginger goes for gold. Hmm. Somebody told he me he had to go there. No, but he remember Sean White. What was it about two months he ago? Had a tomato? major. He had a major crash. Ooh. Got up, you know, face bleeding. It was pretty ugly. And now he's leading the pack. Hmm. Have you seen that half pipe thing? Mm-hmm. It's a nightmare. Like of all the things you could do at the Olympics, half pipe, that would be, I don't know. Hmm. That seems hard. I'd rather do something that you could just lay back. Maybe the skeleton. No, that's face first, right? I want the luge. No. That's back. That's I want to do something oh, yeah, yeah. that guarantees I'm not going to break anything. Like curling. Have there been any curling injuries? Oh, yeah. You could snap a wrist really? like crazy. It's when not I, when easy. I, when I curled, I fell down like seven or eight times on the ice. So if you're not ready for the ice, you could get a okay. real concussion. <laughs> but okay. If you go face first, you break your nose. I mean, there's some serious injuries. This, that this all happened while you were on your first date with your wife? Second date. But yeah. Ooh. Is that how you tried to win her over? Was like, I'm horrible on the ice. No, I mean, I, I went because, you know, you want to have an open mind when a cute girl asks you out. Well, and you go too yeah. because you want to recreate stereotypical romantic no, was, comedy moments. It was about her, and I didn't go into like a whole like movie thing. Oh, I see. But I just, I'm a klutz on ice. And was I there a slipping. Marvel comic anywhere nope. around? Uh-uh. No, but in a movie. We didn't even talk about it. In a romantic comedy, they have to fall down at least once. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's just the way it works. She thought it was great. She still talks about it to this day. Yeah. You know, sounds romantic. You were talking about Valentine's Day gifts, Terry. You were talking about naps. I think I just realized mm. my wife may have already given me my Valentine's Day gift. What was that? So I never nap ever. Why? Uh, I it's just healthy. I don't have time, and I, it has to happen spontaneously. And yesterday, around three p.m., I just fell asleep on Where? the couch. What were you doing on the couch at 3 And this, I was able to sleep while my girls were jumping on top of me and scaring mm. me awake and, yeah. I love the nap when it, it kind of feels like you're neglecting your children, but they still are having fun around you. 
Like you're not paying attention. No, you like you're, that kind of nap? It's great. Just go into a coma. Your kids are safe. But you don't know. you ever just sit up in a startle like? <gasps> no, not really. Nobody was between forty five minutes and an hour, and my wife not once said, "Time to get up." She just let it happen. Oh, see that's that's nice of her. I may have been startled. I, I'm going to have to ask my wife. I'm not sure, but it's possible that one of my daughters startled me awake, and I pushed them. <laughs> Just as a, yeah. as a, like you know, a take that, get off my. No, like not knowingly, sli- just oh. like as an impulse of just like, bah. wow. I'll have to ask. I'd like a nap. Don't tell anybody about that, though. Well, I think you. Just I don't did. want them to get the wrong no, idea. I think you just you just did. You just announced it to everybody that listens, all of them. Uh, okay, straight ahead, we're going to be talking about why the flu is uh, hitting the country so hard. It's amazing. So many uh, people struggling, deaths, including a lot of young people, folks. This has turned into quite the flu season. We'll explain why straight ahead on The Matt Townsend Show. Did you know that the flu uh, is killing up to 4,000 Americans a week uh, right now? One in 10 deaths can be attributed to the flu. And uh, it's not it's not a pretty sight. Hospitals are low on supplies. The vaccine did not cover all the strands of the virus out there and people are dying. So here to speak with us about the flu and explain what is happening is Dr. Chantel Sloan. She's a professor of health science here at Brigham Young University. She was actually here about a year ago to talk about Zika virus. That's right. So we've got we got the flu. I mean, everyone's like, it's just the flu. Did you get your flu shot? But. There's something weird going on this year with the flu shots and also the virus itself. Tell us what's happening. Why are so many people dying? So we have a new strain of what's called H3N2 circulating this year. So we name different types of influenza given these letters and numbers. And um, this year, after we started making the vaccine, this new strain of H3N2 we think is new is... Uh, came around and mutated. And uh, since it takes several months to make the vaccine, we can't just go back and restart. Oh, yeah. No and do-overs. So it, was, it was too late, essentially. And so uh, the virus essentially faked us out, went a different direction. And so the vaccine is not, unfortunately, not as effective as we would hope or as uh, it's been in years past. But so it's it's a little effective. It is. About 30 percent in the U.S. Okay. Uh, which is better than we saw in Australia early in the year. They only had about 10 percent or about 30 percent. So we get these shots to all of the seniors, to other communities that are that are, have potential, you know, potential harm that could come upon them if they did catch the flu. What about um, and, and yet it's only 30 percent effective and you can't there's not really, I guess, anything you can do now. But is there anything we could learn that we do better next time? Yeah, or is absolutely. it just the flu? Is that it's just that it's that squirrely? It is very squirrely, <laughs> it and it gets away is from very you. Very squirrely, and we um, we do our best to 
uh, predict what's going to happen every year. We have labs all around the world that are doing monitoring, trying to make our best estimate of what the flu is going to look like in any given season. Um, What we're really learning how to do now is how to speed up and improve the vaccine production Hmm. so that we we can start a little later. And so if we have one of these mutations that happen, it's okay because we can get ahead of it and revamp a little bit, make a new vaccine. But that switch over to some of these new technologies is going to take some time. Is the, it's interesting. You you say technologies. I, a lot of people may not know that the the virus itself has to be replicated in um, chicken eggs. Yeah. Right now is how we do it. But you're saying there's other technologies coming out that would allow us. But the doing it in a chicken virus or doing it in a chicken egg. Um, is kind of it works really well historically because it's uh, I guess the flu virus tends to be transmitted through birds. It's true. Yeah. So it works better to make it in an egg, I guess, in the in these uh, cells. But you're saying too, um, it, it, some of the mutations might not parallel human mutations. Well, so we can take whatever virus seems to be circulating and historically grow it up in these in these chicken eggs. And I'm sure there's some technical variation that I'm not familiar with and exactly how well each yeah. strain grows. Um, but what we're doing now is we're able to move to what's called cell uh, culture lines. So we're able to take just cells in Petri dishes, grow a ton of them in a lab and use those to grow up the virus. So you could actually eventually grow human cells. Yes. Or dog cells, which would be mm-hmm. another one that's – and those might then more closely reflect what would happen to a human in mutation. Yeah. So right? Well, so we're not trying to capture the mutation so much. What we're trying to do is just produce the virus very quickly. Very – oh, so it's all just about the speed of how you, fast speed. you can produce it. Yeah, speed and amount. So that's the, right. So uh, the quicker and the more we can make, yeah. then uh, the later we can start producing the virus for the vaccine. Oh, yeah. Then, yeah then, you can, then you can get the closest version to what's out there. Yeah, to what's out there. So we're constantly monitoring – checking what's out there, what mutations are happening. And then we've got to bring those strains into the lab and grow it up in huge amounts in order to vaccinate everybody. That is amazing. And then, but it seems like you were talking about how Australia had a different strain almost. Is that is that normal? Do we, it, it, globally, it seems like it's a big earth. It's a big globe. Are there not a million different strains of the virus? There are many different strains of the virus. But what tends to happen, right, is because Australia, the Southern Hemisphere, their winters are summer. Right. What circulates or primarily circulates there in their winter becomes what's going to circulate in the U.S. But what happens is even though they saw some of the same, some similar strains, um, uh, how effective the vaccine is depends on a lot of different factors. Mm. And when I say it's 30 percent effective in the U.S., of course, the U.S. is not monolithic. Right. We know we have a lot of people for whom that vaccine is going to be more effective than it is for others. So I mean, if, again, and talk about that. What groups are more susceptible and, and, and where would the vaccine help some versus others? Right. So, for instance, if uh, someone's over the age of 65, we know the vaccine is not as effective in them. It's true for pretty much any vaccine just because natural immunity wanes. We also know that if you live in areas of high poverty, you're much more likely to have um, outcomes where you're going to be hospitalized or you're you're more likely to be hospitalized. Um, That has to do a lot with nutrition and what we'd call comorbidities. If you have other lung problems, 
Um, if you're prone to pneumonias, then you're going to be more susceptible mm. to this flu. So I Babies, usually, I assume babies, yes, younger mm-hmm, children. Younger children. Typically, most deaths and hospitalizations we see from flu are in children under five and people over the age of 65. Though, of course, yeah, then we, it could happen to anybody. Then we hear right? of the random teenager that had the mm-hmm. sniffles and a day later is dead and – it's all. It's extremely tragic. But the numbers, if you're, if if they're accurate, four thousand uh, Americans a week are dying because of a flu. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not the worst flu we've ever seen. Of course, the worst we've ever seen is the Spanish influenza of 1918. Um, but in, you know, the last. I think they said since 2003, this is the worst season that we've had. It even seems to be outstripping swine flu of 2009. Does it really? Yes, which is. Ah, is um, so. I guess we're always trying to figure out a better way to do this. But you've made a good point that this is also business. Businesses need. I mean, it takes a lot of energy to make enough of this uh, of the the vaccination. So, can we really stay ahead of it enough? Or are we really just trying to knock down a third of it? And that keeps it from spreading at mass levels. Is I mean, it's a numbers game, it seems like, right? Right. So we are trying to, of course, protect as many people as possible. And when I say 30 percent effective, I mean, that's the difference between uh, getting it, getting the symptoms or not. But if you're vaccinated and you still get the flu, if you weren't part of that 30 percent who were fully protected, your chances of developing pneumonia, severe outcomes are less. Are less. So even if you weren't perfectly covered, the vaccine is still helpful. I get my shot every year and hey, look at me. I turned out fine. You're still here. I'm still here. (laughs) But I mean, but you still get other colds and I I just don't know if I've got the flu, but I've had a head cold. I've had other things. I guess this isn't uh, this isn't one shot does it all. It's just it just helps. It helps. That's right. And a lot of people will say, oh, well, excuse me. Um, I got the flu shot, but I still got the flu. Yeah, right. But they, there are many reasons for that. Um, it could be that you have another virus that gives you influenza-like illness, which happens all the time. Yeah. There's a really bad croupy cough that's gone around yeah, this winter. Right. I had it. A lot of people had yeah. it. Uh, and that's but, not the flu. That's not the flu. That's just a croupy mm-hmm. cough. That's a croupy cough. And if you uh, are an adult and you're vomiting, then it's not the flu either. That's a stomach virus. So um, it's not a common uh, symptom to be vomiting yeah. as an adult with flu. So um, it's really tricky to even potentially tell, you know, was that the flu? Was it not? Yeah. But Now tell me what this has to do with me not wearing socks because my Nana has told me that if I don't wear my socks, I'm going to catch the flu. Well, so we uh, – that's probably not actually directly related, <laughs> okay. but uh, you know Good. we have a lot of talk about oh well, if you're out in the cold you're more likely to get the flu. Yeah. And, um, you know if you want to say directly does being physically cold cause you to get sick? Well, no, not not right. so much. But we do know that flu virus, a lot of winter viruses travel better through the air. Um, at certain temperatures, oh, yeah. we know when it's cold out, people are more likely to congregate indoors. So climate actually does drive a lot of it, but more on a population level right. than you just not right. wearing your socks. And getting on an airplane right. might oh, not be a good idea as well yeah. either. It's uh, it's funny because we, it's, we don't necessarily know – I mean you know it, but the general population, we still have a lot of myths. We still have a lot of weird behaviors that we, we – we, like, are we supposed to sneeze in our – 
um, in the you know the crease of our elbow? Are we supposed to how the funny thing is, what are the rules today and what can we do to make sure that we aren't spreading the virus? Yeah. So uh, rule number one, I would say if you're sick, stay home. Yes. Right. That is something that we just have a really hard time doing in the U.S. for some reason. You got to work. Yeah. We say, wait, yeah, we got to get to work. We got to get to school. Um, in my classes, I have a very firm rule. I tell my students, if you are sick, I don't want you here. Right. I love you. Stay that's home. Great. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> um, but we're under a lot of pressure to still go to work, go out in public. And sometimes it can't be avoided. So if you do have to go out in public when you have symptoms, then yes, absolutely. Sneeze in the crook of your elbow. Yeah. Watch your hands. Um, wash your hands very thoroughly. Uh, uh you know, take that extra few seconds with soap and water, get the base of your thumb, get your wrist get, um, in between your fingers and just really scrub. Uh, make sure that you um, are wiping down surfaces if you can. Uh, but just do the best you can to avoid contact. Don't, do you, don't do you, touch the bathroom door on your way out, right? Yeah, just, no, right. Mm-hmm. I always like just wait until someone else opens it. Yeah. <laughs> I just stand there. Um, what do you do if uh, if in your family, one of your family members has it? And that's hard. You're the that's mom. Hard. Your child's sick. How do we not spread it from family from family member to family member? Yeah, so that is really hard. And especially if you've got a lot of little kids, sometimes it's just going to happen, right? It's just going to yeah, go through yeah, the house. Yeah. And there's nothing you can really do about it. Um, but you can take precautions, try to keep maybe that child or that family member quarantined. a little more quarantined <laughs> in their room. Um, take uh, cleaners that have some bleach in it, bleach down surfaces they've touched. Um, and after you interact with them, make sure that you're just thoroughly washing your hands. Mm. Who do you Who do you really, in the end... I mean, I guess the 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 community members that are more vulnerable should be getting the flu shot. Should everybody be getting the flu shot? I am a firm believer that everybody who can should be getting the flu shot. Yeah. Far fewer Americans do every year than right. could or should be. Yeah, I mean, yes. I, I do it because I'm around a lot of people. And, mm-hmm. and I don't know, I always seem to catch everything. And so um, I, I guess part of it is uh, everyone could do it. Now, no child in the world wants to hear that. Yeah, I mean nobody. That's another <laughs> shot, but it's but it helps. Yeah, and here's here's maybe some good news on the horizon for those of you who are afraid of needles, or it can be kind of tough sometimes to get to the doctor every yeah. year to remember to get your flu shot, get your family their flu shot. Is they are working on a universal flu vaccine? Really, we'll see what happens. Uh, we're in some kind of early testing where it could be a one and done. Where you get the flu shot and it covers you for many years, but we'll see. Is there not a way – I mean it seems like – I mean there's – call me crazy. But there's money in all these vitamin C pills that we take and Airborne and all these other brands. Mm -hmm. Why on earth is there not just an over-the-counter, here's your flu shot, squirt this stuff in your mouth and for four bucks? Yeah, well – I mean if I could go to the – if I could go to a local store and pick up – Four treatments for my kids, and everybody gets one, and we all just do it. Yeah, wouldn't it Boom. be better? Wouldn't that be great? <laughs> and like just everyone, yeah. and they're selling them at every store, and it's or a bucket, a bucket dose. Yeah. So um, if it was something where you could take it in a pill and it would spread effectively through it your body in the way that it needs that way to, yet. it doesn't quite. Yeah, I'm sure that your stomach acid would break it down. It wouldn't quite work. <sighs> So what we have are these intramuscular injections, which aren't perfect. There are also some new technologies to deliver um, vaccines through patches. Oh, yeah. So that would be something you could maybe pick up over the counter. I mean, and then every family would pick up their six Mm -hmm. and they'd do it. It's subsidized a little bit by the government, Mm -hmm. but it's a buck a person and boom. 
and they're totally painless. These patches that yeah. maybe hopefully in the next few years might be coming online. Again, who knows? Things are in clinical trials. But uh, unfortunately, orally as a vitamin, it, it won't work. What about these people out there that are like, I don't want medicine injected into me. This could be causing other problems. What do you say about that? Yeah. So um, first, there are, of course, I don't want to say that there's any not, type of right. vaccine is completely risk-free because there's always a small chance of adverse events, especially, for example, if you're allergic to eggs. Yeah. Right. You need to oh, tell yeah. your doctor before you get your flu shot. Um, however, it is certainly the best we have and risk is extremely low. Uh, if you're watching the numbers like I am and seeing how many people are dying and being hospitalized, it's just I, – I don't know exactly why you why you wouldn't do it right. except maybe – it just uh, psychologically, seems a little frightening it's hard. or psychologically yeah. a little bit difficult. But I guess in the end, too, it's the more of us that are taking it, the healthier as a whole we all are. Mm-hmm. I think I, I can't remember if I've said this on your show before or somebody else's, but, you know, you can you do need to be eating healthy. That boosts your immune system. Yeah. Getting enough sleep, that boosts your immune system. Absolutely, you're less likely to get sick if you're doing those two things. But uh, no amount of spinach is going to teach your <laughs> immune system what the flu virus looks like unless right. you especially, have a terrible spinach supplier. <laughs> well, and especially this version, so, right? This Because right. every year it will be a different version. Right. So these are these uh, – you know, the vaccines create essentially these special agent immune cells that can just target the flu if you're exposed. Um, and there's really no other way to get that protection. Are there – and do they target anything else? Like it seems like – I mean, do they do they strengthen us for other disease or viruses or other issues other than just the flu? Or is it only targeted to that one flu? It's pretty well targeted to the flu, though the vaccine does have multiple strains in it. Okay. So we again have 2009 H1N1 also circulating this year, not at near the levels as this horrible H3N2. Um, but if you're exposed to that and not the H3N2, then you're you're well covered. Yeah. So we do have three to four strains in the vaccine every year. So Okay. So, yeah, you're picking up. I mean, someday it just seems like there will be some cumulative – every time you get your next flu shot, you get even more and more and more. And then eventually you're invincible and you're a superhero like my – partners on the show always talk about. <laughs> well, that would be awesome uh, if that were true. <laughs> Unfortunately, the virus keeps changing into something new. So <laughs> unless we get this one and done flu shot, yeah. if we figure out some key components that are just always there on the surface of the virus, which is where the research is going, then oh, we would be able be, to outsmart it. Would that not be amazing? It would be fantastic. Then everybody would want it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And mm. we do know, I mean, I look at the numbers the flu shot saves some, you know, at least 40,000 lives a year. And if you're looking at those numbers, there's oh, yeah. just no way to say, I, I want everyone to get it. Right. No, I think it's future, a great, so. it's, it's, it seems like an important, um, I think it's an important thing we could all do for each other too. Absolutely. If you're going to go hang out at your grandparents' house, yeah. if you're around children, pregnant women yeah. are susceptible and you're just going to be around them. Protect, protect others if you're not doing That's it for yourself. So good. So. Chantel Sloan is her name. Chantel, thanks for being with us. Oh, thank you for having me. And Chantel, again, is a professor of health science here at Brigham Young University, and we have her on the show to help us understand what's going on with the flu. Why is it killing so many people today? Get out there. Get your flu shot. Get healthy. Let's be safe, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping us uh, live longer, healthier lives.
Man, the flu is uh, taking people out one by one. 4,000 deaths a week. But, uh, you know, I think I've com- I figured out how to combat it. Vitamin C. You're always talking about fact, that one particular product, Emergency. Yes. Have you tried that? Yeah, and my wife, she's sold on it now. It's a life changer. Yeah, and uh, we don't normally pitch a brand like that, but uh, we pitch, you know, it, it's vitamin C, basically. Yeah. Look at that pill. It's a horse pill. Wow. Good luck with that. <laughs> I... I <laughs> I got more vitamin C in my body than you, anything else. Can you crush that up and make a beverage out of it? Yeah, you could. Hmm. You could make a – if you put enough water in it, it's yeah. like a high C drink. Okay. It's pretty It's pretty nice. Apparently, a lot of people are out trying to, to buy more juice. So the orange juice industry has been uh, struggling recently as of late Why? over the last few years because, well, as this says it, we realize we're basically drinking uncarbonated soda. That is a great Lots point. Lots of sugar in you yeah. know, the different types of orange juice. But as everyone around us succumbs to the flu, we apparently turn back to the good old OJ, as this article says. In the wake of America's... <laughs> not, uh, not OJ. Not, not, not that guy. That. Right. The other, the other OJ. He may be having a movie coming out pretty soon. Oh, so I just want to another one. In the wake of America's worst flu season in nearly a decade, orange juice sales spike last month for the first time in nearly five years. There was an increase in almost a whole percentage point in sales between the end of December and January 20th. Ooh. It's a really short amount of time yeah. when their sales spiked. Uh, it says this out of the Wall Street Journal. For almost a decade, the orange juice industry has been suffering because Americans have moved on to beverages that are at least marketed as being healthier. Yeah. It may not actually be, but, you know, uh, and less sugary or not to mention the exciting options available for those who aren't as health conscious. There's all kinds of soda. So people are going back and they, they say it's it's like it makes them feel safe. Yeah. Because you're always told, uh, you no, know, drink, vitamin C, yeah. even those studies are showing that it really doesn't do anything. Hey, 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 hey. To help against the colds and those, flu. Of course it does. Those OJ executives are just standing there rubbing their hands saying, we knew you'd be back. <laughs> you guys. You know, uh, by the way, to go full circle on this issue, um, apparently, so all the hospitals, all the the uh, the medicine they need, the kits they have for the flu – the IV tools that they need to use to, to distribute the vaccinations – or not the vaccinations, but the treatment of the patients that have the influenza virus. Mm. Um, they, guess where they tend to come from? Where? Puerto Rico. Oh. And one really? of the reasons why Oops. their shipments uh, are so low is because Puerto Rico – remember? I don't know if you remember. Yeah. But they – you know, there was a, tr- there was a, 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 hurricane. a hurricane there and then oh. I think a, then another tropical storm mm-hmm. and – but it's all taken care of. Right. Except for the fact that their power just went out again, again and again and again. So these factories can't distribute the things that we need here on the mainland to take care of the influenza virus. Hmm. So this idea that we, you know, they have bills that they didn't pay, so... They should suffer somehow? In the end, we're all suffering because Puerto Rico's suffering. So just let's remember that this is just one big... Ball and, of mud, and but, they're part of the United States. Yeah, we left I mean, that yeah. part out too. Yeah, <clears throat> that's inconclusive, so. though. It wasn't really confirmed if that was no, it's knowledge conf- or not. But now it is. It's so confirmed the that they, they're part of the United States, and they pay taxes and have representation. So, by the way, apparently, two places, and th- this blew my mind. Not necessarily, um, not being deeply impacted by the influenza virus. Do you know what two locations those are? 
No. Hawaii. Oh, that's right. And okay. Washington, D.C. Hmm. Interesting. Hmm. Two vacation sites. Hawaii because, you know. Everyone's on vacation. It's an so, island paradise in D.C. because everyone has a Cadillac plan? And nobody works oh. there and everyone's on vacation. Are you gotcha. implying that maybe we ought to take more vacation? I'm I'm implying that that maybe if always implies that if people in Washington D.C. were actually not the people like there's people living there but Congress our political leaders if they would all stay in town more we'd have more virus there I don't know something's going down there's got to be something in the air because Abe Lincoln's nose is starting to turn no but that that's because people keep rubbing it oh yeah Uh, and so that's another thing we wanted to say quit rubbing. Abe's nose. Yeah. He's been through enough. His birthday was yesterday. It was. And uh, we'll be celebrating President's Day soon. So, hey. For- Washington's is the 16th, so we keep that yeah. in mind. And his nose seems to not have the problem that Abe's does. Right. Go rub a penny. If you feel like it's going to bring you good luck to rub his nose, just rub the penny. Rub the penny's nose. Yes. Yeah. A little word brought to you by the Abe Lincoln Association. Hey, we are going to continue the journey. More fun straight ahead. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on Brigham Young University. Well, tomorrow's Valentine's Day, folks, and uh, we're going to help you today, right now. Terry has been researching ways to uh, serve your loved one on the holiday. In my house, it's turned more into a uh, day for the kids to express love for mom. Oh, interesting. Okay. Because we just had our anniversary like a week ago. Yeah, so wouldn't so that it's be a Mother's second, Day? Yeah, it's a second Mother's Day. It's the Basically, pre-Mother's Day. Yeah. They, they enjoy it. The kids really get into it. Well, one does. The other one's, you know, one. Basically, like a pet at this point. Yeah. Um, so what, they give it this article I found. It's on the website fatherly.com. Okay. So it's more geared men to women, but at the same time, it can, you know, spouses it can in go general. Both ways, right? It all works. So if, you, if you're not big on going out and getting a Valentine's Day, it, it seems so corporate. Yeah. You know, you're buying flowers and all this stuff. Right. A simple thing, a simple gesture could be all that's needed to make for the perfect a Valentine's high five. Day. It says, the first one they suggest is set your phone alarm or radio to play play a song that she likes when you wake up. Oh, that's So she cute. starts with a good mood in the day because that's her favorite song. I wonder if that would make my wife happy at 5 a.m. Well, you know, adjust accordingly, depending on okay. your situations. Send her an internet thing that you know she'll like. Video, article, yeah. something like, I was thinking of you and I read this. That's hmm. cute, yeah. yeah. Um, ask if she'd like some time alone. Would you like me to leave? No, 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 don't leave. You've got you know, to stay just with the for, kids. For an hour, or she leaves, just get some time away from yeah. you know, life. Go why do your own thing. Like Go up to her like, hey, why don't you get out of here? I do that all the time, and she rarely takes me up on that offer. Hmm. You could put a surprise in her in her work bag or oh, yeah. in, her, in you know, her purse or whatever, just like some chocolate or something. Just like here. a bag of cottage cheese? Yeah, it'd be great. Well, depends on... She likes cottage cheese. Your wife does? Yeah. I think a bag of cottage cheese would work well, though. <laughs> uh, let's see. You can take out the trash. Oh, boy. Don't don't wait to be asked. Do something yeah. you don't normally do. Do some chores around the home yeah. that maybe she takes care of. Just take care of it for her, and then don't say anything. Then she'll walk in and be like, oh, it's done. That would be amazing. That would be, be a great cool. day. It says warm up a towel, robe, or slippers in the dryer <gasps> for her. Oh, that's mm. cute. And yeah. then you lay them out as she... 
you know, puts them on and is all warm and cozy. You know something I do? While she's feeding our baby, I will lay down on her side of the bed so that when she comes back, it's nice and warm. Really? Yes. It's kind of lazy. No. I mean, you could warm up a towel or a... So there's a few. There's, there's more. Let's, we'll be doing them it's all through the show. interesting little, little things you can do to make the day special. Bringing the love back on Valentine's Day. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, friends. Welcome to the program. Dr. Matt here along with Jeff and Terry. The gang is gathered. And what else could we talk about today? But of course, uh, the Olympics. And I don't even know if any of you are watching it. Are you? No. No. <laughs> no. Yeah, I only watched the updates. This, uh, uh, the I saw time... some snowboarders and there's the skater with the triple axle and, you know, yeah. you see some gifts here and there. Like, oh, there you go. U.S. Olympian Chloe Kim wins a snowboarding half-pipe gold medal. And she said she wanted some ice cream. That was on Twitter. Yeah, that was interesting. Sean White is, I guess, ahead in the event uh, of, for the half-pipe. The, Whatever preliminary rounds, he blew them away. Don't the Americans and is it the Australians that typically do well in the any type of snowboarding yeah. event? Yeah, the surfers. Yeah. I'm excited. <laughs> I, I'm really not into um, surfers. I'm not into snowboarding until they get the full pipe. The half pipe's fun, but oh, the right. full pipe will be really interesting. I think they just go around and around. They just so kind of go around just the just pipe. Big, yeah. yeah, it's like mm. yeah. They, well, it does ask the question: What they do with the other half? Is it just sitting off to the side, or it's a half pipe, right? So well, that yeah. implies there was a full at some point. You don't it's build made it. of snow, so the oh. you know. No, it's just, you've got to be. There's a base. It's you've like got to be going really fast in order to do the full pipe. Yeah, like yeah. really fast. Hence the gold medal when you win. That's right. I guess you pull that off. Good job. It's a dangerous, dangerous sport. But uh, for some reason, I, I guess the viewership is down. But as it is with all television, mm-hmm. I mean, this is an amazing thing to say, but. Television, as we have known it, is starting. It's disappearing. It get. I, I see reports in these emails I read in the morning where it's NBC's really parsing these stats, yeah, and showing you exactly the stat that they want to promote for the day about how great this is. And they're like, it's interesting because during the normal TV season, the other networks use those same stats, and you say that's. That's like deceiving or improper. Right. But during the Olympics, you're trying yeah, anything it. you can. We're using and them. Generally, they're down about 10%. There yeah. was some polling done before the Olympics that found only 38% of Americans were going to watch the Olympics or would at least report that they were going to watch the Olympics, which is at an all-time low since 2002. Yeah. Granted, that one was in the United States, so people were very interested, but it's just sort of diminished over time. I think some of this has to do with um – we think it's Netflix, right? But I think there's just certain generations that this this I grew up and watching the Olympics was what you do. If you were an American and you cared about family, God, and country, right? You'd watch the Olympics. If you valued your citizenship, you would watch the Olympics. Now it seems more about hey, you like Batman. <laughs> I, I think I've come, just with you guys. I've come to realize that maybe I enjoy the uh, the summer Olympic Games more than the winter Olympic Games. 
Yeah. Like the volleyball. Who doesn't want to watch a good volleyball match? The other side, the, Olymp- the Winter Olympics, I think, usually trend lower when it comes to overall ratings. And they, some of that is that how do you identify with a downhill skier? Yeah, right. Right? Because yeah. how many people actually do that? Yeah, who I mean, you, could, you can watch it for a while, but just snow skiing isn't something everyone does. But swimming? Right. You look out there, I could swim. Running. I can, but I've swam been in the water before. before. Running, trying to see people run? outrun a cheetah. Yeah, you know, basketball. Just do they still have baseball? No. Well, they I think they're baseball. trying to bring it back. There are sports you can more relate to in the summer. Yeah. More of a mass of the population rather than the winter. It's like speed skating. I don't yeah. do that. Well, I mean, not this week. <laughs> you don't speed skate all the time. No. Or the luge. It's, it, they're very specific sports that yeah. you know. I mean, they're interesting to watch. That's but, why they need better uh, sports. Right? Like they need. They don't need the luge. They need the lounge or a snowball. Chair. Maybe a snowball fight. An Olympic snowball oh, fight. There Everyone's you go. Done that. Yeah. Yeah. And then you get into your your nationalistic tendencies uh-huh. to want to just bash other people Ooh. in the head with snow. They could do a whole thing around soda, making a soda, like like putting ice and a and diet coke in a cup. Hmm. I mean, everyone's done that. Or you've got uh, you know those those people that are really quick at stacking cups. Maybe they could have a contest to see how quickly you could build a snow castle. Mm. Or picking up Tupperware after you open a cupboard door and all the Tupperware falls out. For the Winter Olympics, actually, Summer Olympics. Okay. No, I think I think in our house it would be just trying to get all of the Tupperware to fit in that drawer. Mm, True. Oh, see. And in my house, it's keeping the kid from pulling it all out. Yeah. And then as you put it away and turn your head, they continue to pull it out. So it's kind of useless. You know, that's when you put them in timeout. Well, there's that. Or maybe emptying the dishwasher without getting any of the residual water on Uh you. Hmm. See, these are all ideas. Again, we're not in charge of the Olympics, but if <laughs> for good reason. We were. That's what we. Those are the changes we would make. Uh, today, we're also going to be talking about should you let your child be bored. A lot of parents think it yes. is like one of the ultimate sins if your child is ever bored. That's just bad parenting. They do. Yeah, I do it all the time. Well, then you are a bad parent, I guess. Okay. Well. He, he seems to find things to entertain himself with all the thousands of toys we purchased. <laughs> yeah, from. see, but that's, that's actually the right way to do it is let them be bored and then let them go make their own entertainment. But some parents micromanage their children and uh, they have them planned all day yeah, long. We get into this, I want the iPad. I'm like, no, you don't need to watch that all day. Well, I want to watch TV. Dad's how about you using do, it. How, no. <laughs> how about you do something else? And he's like, I'm so bored. And he just sits on the couch and I go figure something out. And I go downstairs. And then I come back upstairs, and he's pulled out a bunch of toys, and he's created this whole fantasy story thing. I'm like, wow, look at that. No iPad. All of a sudden, you're creative. Look at that. See how that works? It's amazing. It's a crazy world. So we'll get to that straight ahead. But first, uh, let's get to the headlines, Terry. What should we be paying attention to? White House Press Secretary Sarah Sanders Monday accused reporters of putting national security at risk when they published classified information in a deflection against a question about former White House aides accused of physically abusing ex-wives. The remark came directly in response to a question about how the White House handles security clearances for top officials after it was revealed that ex-aide Rob Porter was operating on an interim clearance while the FBI was looking into allegations of domestic abuse. If you guys have real concerns about leaking out classified information, look around this room, Sanders said. You're the ones that publish classified information and put national security at risk. That doesn't come from this White House. Except a wow. lot of the leaks are actually in the White House. Yeah. Do the report. So how, I many, know details. how many White Houses are there? I know. This one. 
There, there's a lot. By the way, did you see uh, uh, CNN did a whole um, article on how many people are leaving? Uh, they've lost what a third of the team they started with in a year. Yeah, I mean that's that's a big deal. Mm. I mean we only lose like a quarter. Yeah, of the people. And that's because of graduation. Eh, and they just oh. don't like <laughs> us. Natural attrition. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She also said that. Um, uh, Sarah Sanders seemed to put the, the responsibility of the lack of security clearances. There's apparently 30 to 40 people in the White House working without proper clearance. They're, they're waiting FBI background checks to clear. FBI says, well, we've done the background checks. The decision on what if these people stay or go is up to the White House, not us. So it's like this, the White House blames the FBI, the FBI blames the White House, and everyone's like, well, it should It seems like nobody should be in the White House that can't get clearance. Right. Requesting and clearance, Clarence. It was funny because Roger, they, Roger, they said that Victor, some, of these back, some of these uh, background checks can take up to a year. Yeah. And yesterday on Twitter, Edward Snowden, he goes, man, I got a security clearance faster than these guys, which was kind of funny. Yeah, look so, how that turned out. <laughs> Stole secrets from Hawaii. So, yeah, it's, just, it's all fun and games until you start pointing fingers and then all of a sudden... There's right. no solution. So. Uh, the Trump administration's infrastructure plan released Monday proposed that Fed, the Fed is considering selling off Ronald Reagan, Washington National Airport, and Washington Dulles International Airport. The administration wants to allow federal agencies to divest assets if they can demonstrate an increase in value from the sale would optimize the taxpayer's value for federal, federal assets, according to Trump's blueprint for an infrastructure package. The administration also wants to privatize freeways, aqueducts, uh, the space station, electrical facilities in the southwest and Pacific Northwest. Now, many would say this is worrisome because these, I mean, if you've ever flown into Reagan National Airport, you fly right over all the monuments. Yeah. So it's, it's a pretty essential place with airspace that's critical to mm-hmm. the safety of our federal government. Right. Might not be the one you'd want to sell off. But it was specifically mentioned. Maybe it seems like you'd want to sell one in the middle of the country. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, but it was specifically mentioned. Interesting, this might be some of the thinking of a business person that's running the federal government. Who? Like a uh, uh, business person, Mr. Trump. This is oh. interesting thinking from a business person that let's sell off the assets of the United okay. States and save money doing so. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. Keep going. Uh, Senate on Monday voted to open up its formal debate on immigration legislation as Congress inches closer to a March 5th deadline to ensure enshrine legal protections for so-called dreamers. Bipartisan groups have worked for months to craft a product that could pass muster with the White House and the House of Representatives, but to no avail, of course. The Senate free-for-all. Does that sound like a good idea? A Senate free-for-all? Process is likely to last through much of February, during which the senators will be permitted to offer amendments and eventually piece together legislation that could win the necessary 60 votes. Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell uh, committed to the open process last month after the Senate Democrats forced the government shutdown in order to extract the concession from McConnell. House Speaker Paul Ryan has said the White House will, or the House, will vote on a bill that President Trump will support. Wow. So whatever they come up with, if they can't get its, uh, the support of the White House, then it's not going to go it's through not Paul Ryan. Be. He's not going to try. Yeah, that's not going to be good. Watching video on Matt's computer. Wow. <gasps> a trampoline covered in ice, yep. and then you jump on it. That's amazing. Oh, I thought he went crashing through it. That looked really painful. 
Yep. So if you are in the Midwest where it's freezing and uh, your trampoline is covered with ice, great video footage if you want to have your kids jump on it. And maybe you just ruined your trampoline. It does seem like it's a little crazy with shards of ice as your child. Hey, Sonny, go jump on the tramp. And but, finally. Hey, then you do have enough ice to make drinks. You do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Finally, runners, even ultra marathoners, are going in reverse for an exercise boost and to change up their routine. Oh, really? Inside hmm. of the Wall Street Journal. Uh, backwards running. Oh, boy. The trend is growing, including the retro world championships. Long a staple of football or soccer practice, coaches and other sports are adding reverse or retro racing to training regimes. Researchers say that the practice improves coordination and balance, offers relief for knee and hamstring injuries, boosts performance in forward racing, and shakes up repetitive training routines. Another bonus, it burns more calories. Uh, downside, uh, more likely to get hit by a car. <laughs> that is true. It is, the, it is a limiter on the amount of speed you can put into the activity because you're always looking over your shoulder to make sure you know, you're not going to fall. And you have this feeling when you're going backwards, you're off balance. Doesn't it just remind you of a little kid like, look, Mom, I'm running backwards. Yeah. <laughs> like, good, son. Why don't you just go backwards on an elliptical? I do that. Do you? Well, when look I'm at the cooling bragger. down. Yeah. Look, look at him brag. It's he right. just sneaks him in there. Like, hey, look at me running backwards on my elliptical. Hey, at least I didn't say, when I was running on my elliptical last night. Yeah. Which you, did happen, by the way, but I'm not going to brag. It's more of a stride. It's more like when I was striding yeah. my elliptical. Well, I, I went on the elliptical to test out whether or not my watch would count those strides as oh, steps. You're not really moving. Oh, and they yeah. did. Oh, wow. oh, good. Look at that. You know, he's, he's doing the latest um, Olympic tournament here at BYU Broadcasting. Which is to get us all healthy and fit. The walk Olympics or whatever they're calling it. And he's being very competitive about it. Well, Mm -hmm. I'm also a part of Step Bet, which is a sister program of the Diet Bet, where you put in a a chunk of money, and if you get the goal, you get a piece of that pie. If you don't, you don't. Did he say chunky monkey? It sounded like that. I think he said put in a chunky monkey. Hmm. Um, But here's the deal, and I'm going to just say it. Uh, our leader of our of BYU Broadcasting, his name is Michael Dunn. He's creaming us. He puts in like 100,000 steps a week. Hmm. He's a monster because <laughs> he's like a marathoner, triathlete. Oh, so he's out running. Chaser. And, okay. Yeah. yeah. And we talked about this yesterday. Amazing. Should he, should he win the prize yes. if, if he does end up with the I most think, steps? But he's such a decent human being that he wouldn't take the prize. But he's going to win it because no, he – honestly, our leader takes more steps a day than our entire broadcasting unit. That is – Not our team. I'm talking our entire that is radio entire floor. Entire floor of the building. Okay. Yeah. Is yeah. he – is it a walking competition or a running competition? Or it's is it just steps. Just steps. Just okay. steps. Yeah. But I, I have huge handicaps in this area because oh, yeah. – I, I'm in the same place all day, uh, every day. Never, and you don't move. On top of the lack of motivation. I am lack highly... Lack of coordination. I am highly yeah. motivated. I've got money in this so-called race. See, I think it's not fair because um, I'm a clogger. Mm. I do a lot mm. of clogging. Really? That's how we know you're coming. Yeah. We can hear it. You can hear me. 
But um, so, but clogging, you don't. You'd think you'd get a lot of steps, mm. but two or three of my steps only counts as one step on my watch. Wow, three clogging steps equals one walking step. Well, those only count uh, rubber steps, not wooden steps. No, not that kind of clog. Hmm. No, I don't wear wooden clogs. I'm not. No. You're not uh, Swedish or whatever it would be. <laughs> what is that? Austrian? I don't know. Um, Norway. Oh. Holland. Don't they? Where is it in Norway they wear the clogs? I don't know. I've never been. Anyway, clogging is a type of Seems dance. Seems like an uncomfortable shoe. It's a folk shoe. dance that you yeah. bend your knee and pull it back. Yeah. Pull it back up towards your body. Uh, anyway, so I, I think it's cool. Jeff's, the thing about Jeff is he's really motivated. Hmm. He and he's very competitive. Have you noticed this? With who? With everybody else. Okay. Like, like he's, does he compete with you? Oh no. Okay. But with Michael Dunn, is he talking trash to the boss? Is that what's happening? Well, he's like, come on, Michael's a flipping marathoner. All right. It's not fair. He does a hundred thousand steps. That just sounds like week. complaining, not competing. Yeah. Competing would be if he like matches his numbers. I'm fine. To... I'm fine with the steps, but I think he should step down, so to speak, from the top tier if a prize is involved. Oh, I don't think he'll take a prize. Good. The, the prize for him is that he's <laughs> our leader. Hmm. That's the prize. The prize for you is one more day on this earth. Yeah, isn't the much higher salary enough? Well, yeah. Um, <laughs> you don't talk about his salary. That's not. What I didn't say about. how much it was. What uh, What would you say as far as the empty news is concerned? Well, uh, nothing as far as steps go. Okay, good. Have you ever not been invited to a wedding that you feel you should have been invited to? Yeah, really. But I was totally good with it. Oh, well, yeah, because you're you're mentioning how you it seems like you go to one wedding reception per week. Yeah, we're invited to a lot of weddings. So here is a family that has let's just say they have some problems or at least this individual within the family has some problems Uh, in Clackamas, Oregon. There's a man who's pleaded guilty to placing calls on September 3rd, 2016, to airports in Nevada and Texas, reporting his father and brother as terrorists. Because they got an invitation to a family wedding, and he did not. Oh, boy. Isn't that taking it a little yeah. too far? So he's trying to sabotage. So they they interviewed the, the father and the brother, you know, because they have to take all of these threat reports very seriously. Um, so they were, they were detained. They were questioned by investigators. The brother missed his flight. No way. And Smith, the guy that uh, made these calls, faces up to two years in prison at sentencing. Or he's going to be sentenced oh. in May. Can you believe that? I can't. That's crazy. Just just so that they have to miss a, a wedding. I mean, I, of course it would depend on whose wedding it is. But for most weddings, it's like, oh, yeah, that, that's I mean, I $20, $30 I just saved. That might be worth it. Yeah. <laughs> wow. And uh, here's another one. Yeah. When you lose a dog, how long are you going to go before you just give up and say, you know what, kids, he had a good life. We had a good run with him. But maybe it's time to go get another one or put this dog business behind us. Wow. I mean, 
That's a very specific question. <laughs> Do you have a dog? No, not since we lost ours. Hmm. And I, I think I lost mine about 25 years ago. Okay. And I'm almost ready to give up looking. Well, there there could still be some hope because there's this Pennsylvania family that uh, has been reunited with its dog that went missing 10 years ago. What? That's Ten cool. years. So this is a uh, – let me see what type of dog. Oh, a black Labrador, which I don't really know dog breeds. Yeah. I want to say, no, I, I, don't, I don't even want to guess because I'll be wrong. It. Yeah. So there was this family that was contacted by animal protectors of, gosh, is this Allegheny Valley? Allegheny. Allegheny Valley. Pennsylvania, yeah. They discovered the dog's microchip and was able to contact this family. Someone had taken good care of the dog over the years, and the dog is in great health and remembers the things that the family taught her. Isn't that amazing? That is amazing. Ten years. But how weird when the dog shows up and it's like, what? You're still alive? (laughs) (laughs) And you've you've already got a dog and another litter of dogs. I think it's more weird for the dog when the dog shows up and it realizes that it's been replaced by another dog. You moved on without me. Then you have a oh, that's uh, a sad puppy. Then you've got the the subplot of Toy Story three going on. Oh no, we don't. And need then to that go there. scratch and sniff bear goes all evil uh, and takes over this daycare yeah. and turns it into a prison. Hey, speaking of daycares and prisons, <laughs> we're going to take a break, and when we come back, we're going to be talking about can I let my child be bored? Is that just bad parenting? Come on. We've got to learn to, to allow our kids to be bored, don't we? That's how they you know, dig their way out of life is by having to face it. We'll be talking about it straight ahead on the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends. Hey, uh, we were going to be talking about uh, should you let your child be bored? The obvious answer is yeah. And uh, our guest um, last minute had to had to make a break. So uh, what we're going to do is instead we're preparing another interview that um, we will be doing in a minute. But before we get to that, let's get to the more of our empty news segment with Jeffrey Liam Simpson, our empty news anchor. So we just did a story about a dog that yeah. – was reunited with this family after 10 years, which is amazing. I mean, honestly, at some point you'd think the dog would have moved on. Oh, yeah. Or Just that the for, family would. Yeah, but they didn't. They That's what love is about. Uh, so here's another dog that uh, may be getting some un- unemployment benefits. Really? Okay. Yeah. I didn't even know that was possible, but it's happened. Michael Ryder had been approved for $360 every week in Michigan unemployment benefits. Until the state learned he'd been dogging it at the Detroit-area restaurant chain where he supposedly worked. I think it's supposed to be a pun. Mm. Uh, Ryder is a German shepherd owned by attorney Michael Haddock on the other side of the state. Haddock received a benefits letter addressed to Michael Ryder from Michigan's Unemployment Insurance Agency. The station says Haddock contacted the agency about the letter. The agency says its computer system sent the letter, but the claim later was flagged as suspicious and denied. Investigations Administrator 
Tim Kohler wrote a, wrote in a tongue-in-cheek email that he knows firsthand it is rare for man's best friend to contribute financially to the household, and that will continue in this instance. Boy, I'm glad they caught it. <laughs> I know. That dog could that have been living the high life. Could have got away with, yeah. That's... He could have been... I don't want to say it, but he could have been, you know, milking off of the government, you uh-huh. know, just. Oh, yeah. Nothing worse than that. Then, uh, you know, it's bad when your dog like pulls up in a red Corvette. Oh, yeah. With the hood, With the top down and you're like, what? Do you think that's what he would drive? Uh-huh. I don't think hmm. a dog would drive a red Corvette. I guess it depends on the on the dog. Yeah, that's true. Some of those little dogs, they couldn't even reach the pedal. If it was a Dalmatian, I would assume he'd be driving a fire truck. Oh, wait, wait a stereotype. I, I'm sorry if that was offensive. I'm just not a dog person. Well, but some, some Dalmatians aren't into firefighters. Are you trying to tell me that Dalmatians are people too? Okay. Thank you for not going that far. <laughs> no, I'm not. Um, here's another one. This one's kind of bizarre. Not the typical heist story that you typically read about. Yeah. This is in Seville, Spain. Uh, police came across a bizarre scene when they pulled over two cars after a short chase. According to Europa Press, officers suspected something wasn't quite right when they saw the cars driving very close together. Hmm. When they tried to pull the cars over, they took off. A short chase through a dirt road followed. Inside the vehicles, police found, want to take a guess? Popsicles. That's not too far off. They found oranges. Uh. Later, they found a truck also packed with oranges. Altogether, police recovered more than four Tons of oranges. What? The drivers claimed they were uh, coming from very far away and had been stopping and collecting oranges all along the way. Really? Yeah. Yeah, I who don't collect, think. Uh... Who, who has the patience to collect four? T- Can you imagine if you were on a road trip with your family <laughs> and your dad or One your mom more. made that many stops? Oh, yeah. look, it's another orange. Well, no, we do make that many stops to go to the restroom. Yeah. But we, we've never picked up oranges. We did not get many restroom breaks. Yeah. No, I remember. You My told dad stories. just kept chugging along. Right. And uh, many mishaps along the way because of that. Well, plus, let's get real. The Simpsons have very small bladders. Uh, All the Simpson boys. I guess that's true. No, we know it's true. So, yeah, um, turns out that the oranges were stolen from a shipment. Surprise, surprise. <laughs> Why did you say it twice? Well, for dramatic effect. Okay. I was just wondering. If you say something twice, it ups the dramatic effect by three times. So when somebody walks in the door and you're at a surprise party, mm-hmm. everyone should not just yell, surprise! They should yell, surprise, surprise! Exactly. And there's a great uh, comedy bit by Dimitri Martin, who's hilarious, who says, uh, isn't it weird that when... People have a surprise party for you that they yell out surprise. So it's like if I come home and see there are a bunch of people in my home and I wasn't expecting them, I don't, I don't need you to tell me how to behave. That's right. Like I, I don't, you don't need to tell me Get to be surprised. I'm going to be surprised. Don't tell me how to do this. All right. Well, uh, surprise. We're done. We're going to take a break, come back, and continue the journey. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world.
Have you ever come across a problem that seemed to have no solution? You spent hours and hours worrying and straining to find a way to mend a relationship or to fix a reoccurring work issue. It's all you can think about. Author David Niven says that focusing on the problem is exactly the wrong way to find an answer. I had the opportunity to interview Dr. Niven not long ago in his book, It's Not About the Shark, How to Solve Unsolvable Problems. And I began the interview by asking why he named his book, It's Not About the Shark. Well, the the name It's Not About the Shark comes straight from one of, I think, the, the very best examples of the difference between focusing on a problem and focusing on a solution. And this is, you know, in the midst of the making of the movie Jaws, which this is Steven Spielberg's first big chance. You know, he hasn't hasn't made all those movies that he becomes famous for. This is his shot with the big studios making a movie. And he spends literally the majority of his budget on the construction and design of a mechanical shark. I mean, this is his vision for how to sort of haunt you know, the American imagination with this monster shark. And, and it's, it's literally, it's in the storyboards of the very first scene. The very first thing we're going to see is this monster shark coming out of the ocean and attacking. And here was the thing. The shark didn't work. Almost to a comical degree, it malfunctioned, broke down. I mean, even, even the skin of it, it was, it was, you know, covered in this polyurethane that, that just puffed up like a giant marshmallow <laughs> instead of, you know, looking like this, you know, menacing, sleek shark skin. And so the movie's already in production. The actors are there, the boat's there, the, everything's ready to go. And the shark every day is breaking down. And so he had this critical moment where if he had focused on the problem, my, my shark is broken. If he'd focused on the problem, he really would have been stuck because he'd already spent his budget he was out of time. If he'd gone to the studio and said, I need a new shark, they probably would have shut the film down. But he didn't focus on the problem. What he thought, instead of, my shark's broken, how do I fix the shark? He thought, how do I make the best movie I can? And, and that's an entirely different question. And it, from that thought, he started thinking, what would Hitchcock do in this situation? And from that thought, he started thinking, do I really need a giant mechanical shark? What if I implied the shark? And you know those scenes where, you know, the, the camera's at the waterline and the, the, the music is playing and, and you feel that, you know, that, that intensity of, and you know what's going to happen and you don't actually see the shark. And so he changed the entire approach of the film from literally starting the film with a close-up of the shark to for the most part, you don't see the shark. And, and most of the movie goes by, you don't see the shark at all. And he actually frightened people much more profoundly because he let us use our imagination and, and brought that into the movie. And when you, when you read the, the critical reviews today about what was so revolutionary about the film, they're largely focused on the fact that the shark isn't visible, <laughs> that, it's, that, it's, that it menaces us in our own minds. And that's really the essence of what my book is about. If he had focused on the problem, the, sh- the film would have been shut down. We yeah. never would have heard of Jaws, and we never would have heard of Steven Spielberg. He didn't focus on the fact that the shark was broken. He focused on what his actual you know, mission was, which was to create the best movie possible. And by that, he blew right past the problem into something better than he imagined. Yeah. I mean, like John Williams puts, what, two or three keys together to create mm-hmm. the, jo- the Jaws theme. 
And that may have been more impactful than the shark. Absolutely. I mean, you think about it's how crazy. You, I mean, you remember those notes and yeah. you remember that feeling. And, and, and Spielberg put the camera literally half above and half below the water to give you that sense of what was coming. And that stays with us so much more than, you know, any, any like mechanical movie monster, you mm-hmm. know, often become, you know, kind of uh, fodder for being made fun of because they look so silly over time. But, you know, not the case with Jaws. It, it, it remains as, as a powerful model uh, today as it was then. And we do the same thing as humans, right? Every day trying to figure out how to solve our problem. We become preoccupied with the one problem instead of, what, the 900 solutions? Well, that's right. That's, that's the idea here, that anything that you're facing in any aspect of your life, you can look at it problem first, in which case the problem can blot out your attention. I mean, if Spielberg had literally spent all his time on fixing the shark and getting in there with the wiring and everything, he never would have gotten out of there. Or you can focus on the solution. And part of what the book was inspired by was this study that took a a group of engineering students, put them in a room, and said, we want you to draw up plans for a bike rack, a bike rack to go on cars, make it, you know, make it as simple and easy as, as you possibly can for people. You be as creative as you can. We want a great bike rack. All right, go. And set them loose with paper and pencil and, and ask them to do the best they could. At the same time they did that, they had a second group of engineers, same setup, exact same question that they were you know, given, except when they told them about this bike rack situation, they said, here's where other people have run into problems in the design. Here's something that you're going to need to correct for. Now, in theory, this is the exact same task. You're both sitting down. You're, you're, you're trained for this. You're product designers. You're, you're creating a bike rack. But it works out that the group that was just told to design a bike rack was literally 17 times more likely to solve the problem that they didn't even know about than the group that was told, here's the problem you're going to have to solve. And it was all because the folks who knew what the problem was started from the, the perspective of the problem. That was the thing that guided their entire process. The folks who didn't know what the problem was looked at this and said, what's the best way I could do it? And in thinking about that, they jumped over the problem without even knowing they were doing it. Wow. 17 times more effective right. just by having by just starting with – the really just open-minded what let's right. let's have let's find solution to this issue cool right by starting with what was possible yeah the possible what was impossible and you know they came up with more designs they came up with better designs and they were you know they had the exact same training and it was really the exact same task except for that one thing about whether you started it by what was hard about this or what was possible about this so why do we do this uh i mean naturally why David, do I just get sucked into this need to be so problem-obsessed that I can't get into the possible? Well, I mean, there's certainly, you know, a kind of a biological imperative that we pay attention to danger and that we pay attention to threat. And, you know, it's a great survival instinct. And were we, you know, to live amongst, you know, saber-toothed tigers and the like, we better be problem-oriented because we're not yeah. focused on that problem. We're not going to have another day. But when you, when you progress thousands and thousands of years and still have that impulse, you know, it loses its benefit to us. And whether it's in your home life, in your work life, in any aspect of what you're doing, you're not being chased by a saber-toothed tiger. You know, it, it's time to, to think past that. And 
you know, what we do when we're confronting a problem is, you know, we, we bear down and, and, and we really get inside the problem. And, it, and it, it tells us what we can do and what we can't do. It shuts off a lot of possible avenues for, for how we might proceed. And, you know, there's no aspect of our modern life where that, where that fits, where that's helpful to us. And so it's natural but just because it's natural doesn't mean that you know we should keep doing it. Mm. And it also seems like some of our systems today incentivize finding problems. It almost gives us more power. It, I mean, just listen to the politicians today talking about all of the problems, um, almost fear mongering, fear baiting, and then people start to follow them. Absolutely. I mean, you know, it is it is a natural, you know, it is a natural phenomenon, but. You know, it's also, you know, of, of devastating consequence. I, you know, I write about in the book a lot of, of, of studies that I think really can tell us a bit about how we live and how we could live better. And, you know, I, I write about them so that anybody can understand them and anybody can use them. And one of the great examples uh, on this point, there's a study that it brought married couples in, and it literally all they were asked were, you know, generic questions. How did you meet? And, you know, very pleasant kinds of questions. And the researchers weren't at all interested in the answers. They were interested in how the couples interacted with each other. Hmm. And what they found was if one, you know, if the husband or the wife did anything negative, you know, kind of, you know, um, reacted with a negative face, you know, interrupted, you know, did anything negative at all in those conversations, the spouse was five times more likely to repeat that negative behavior than if one spouse did something positive in those interactions. It five times, we took five times more power out of the bad than the good. And hmm. I mean, that's, that's problem-based thinking applied to modern life. You know, it's, it's natural. We're, you know, we're programmed to look out for what's wrong, but the, the pain of that is obvious. You know, the, there's, there's absolutely no upside of being five times more likely to mimic the bad than the good. And, right. you know, you can imagine the cost of that in a relationship if, you know, you, you have to be, you know, five times as nice as you, as you are uh, mean just to be equal. Exactly. And, you know, that's, that's, that's a tough equation. That is a, t- that is a very tough equation. We're speaking with Dr. David Niven, um, author of the book, It's Not About the Shark, How to Solve Unsolvable Problems. Is it, um, it, is it true that when you're working, um, I mean, it seems like if I'm already kind of chemically charged and I start chasing a problem I've got to solve and my fight or flight is kind of kicking in, I might think I'm working really hard to fix it when really I might just actually be making it worse. Absolutely. And, and you know, again, this is part of where our natural inclinations can work against us. You know, anybody would say, what's the best you can do, you know, right now up against whatever you're up against? And their answer is going to be, well, I'm going to work hard. I'm going to put in the hours. I mean, that's you know, I mean, we, we just understand that at such a fundamental level, that that's the thing to do. And, you know, one of the examples I write about was um, the, the legendary college football coach, Urban Meyer, when he first came to national prominence at the University of Florida, you know, he was somebody who had been schooled his whole life in the sort of the essence of being a workaholic. Mm-hmm. And, you know, even to the point when he was, when he was in high school, 
and uh, he struck out once in a, in a high school baseball game, and, and, and his father wouldn't give him a ride home from the game, told him to walk because <laughs> he thought Urban Meyer hadn't been trying hard enough. So, I mean, this guy was raised yeah. to work hard. And so one of the, the examples I write that I think is really instructive, at the University of Florida, they had a, a, a tradition that if they had a, a winning football game, after the game, the players would gather for victory meal, and they would have this massive spread, and they would put up TVs in the rooms, and they'd watch a replay of their victory, and they would eat dinner together, and it, would, it was really this, this you know, bonding and celebratory experience. You know, what are we fighting for? You know, we're fighting for each other. We're fighting for the win, and it was, you know, it was this really positive connection that was built. And Coach Urban Meyer, over time, you know, he wins a national championship. He's, a, he's the king of the college football world. And the way he was programmed, he responded to that by working even harder. He spent even more time in the film room, even more time coming up with game plans to the point where he started skipping the victory meal. And he was doing it in service of hard work. Right. That was his ethic. And, and, of course, you work hard. That's how you solve, that's how you solve problems. And so eventually – after he had been skipping victory meal for a while, he happened to walk by the room after a victory, ducked his head in, and he noticed that, that the victory meal was almost empty. There was almost nobody in there. And it used to be that everybody on the team and every assistant coach, everybody associated with the program, you know, would never dream of skipping it. So he goes in and he wonders where all the players are. And finally, one of the low-level assistant coaches says, you know, the, the players stopped coming when you stopped coming. Hmm. And... You know, he, he started to reexamine this idea that he might possibly be working hard against his own interests. Right. Because, you know, he, his work ethic had actually gotten in the way of part of how he wanted to define his team and his program and, and what the sport was all about. And not too long after that, he wound up walking away from the game uh, exhausted and burnt out and, and unable to continue coaching. And one of the things that's interesting to me is he's back now, of course, as the coach of Ohio State. He's won a national championship there. And he talks about how his approach is fundamentally different and how he wasn't allowed to come back to coaching by his family unless he agreed to a set of rules that are principally about him not doing that again, not <laughs> overworking the problem to the point where he's actually working against his own interests. And, you know, part of what I'm doing in It's Not About the Shark is, is really letting folks know that, you know, when you're stymied by a problem, it's not that you are failing and, and, and that you, for some bizarre reason, have chosen the wrong approach. It's that, you know, we naturally bump up against the problem and stare at it. And we naturally, you know, throw everything we, we have at it. And it just so happens those are the worst things we can do <laughs> to actually solve something. And, and, and it, amazing story with uh, Urban there. He's, he's the best in the country. So, mm -hmm. I mean, it would almost be easy to presume and be confident in his mind that he was, he was confidently doing what was right, even though it was actually not working for him, but he still felt confident about it until it caught up with him. Absolutely. And, and you know, he had, a, as I mentioned a moment ago, he had a rather unique upbringing where, you know, this was drummed into him, that effort, effort you know, exceeds the value of everything. And, and there's a, a great story about Urban Meyer's first sport was actually baseball, and he's, he was drafted into the Atlanta Braves system. He was a minor league baseball player. 
right out of high school. He's, you know, he's 18 years old playing minor league baseball. And it works out that even though he was a, he was a great high school player, he, he just can't hit in the minor leagues. You know, it's, it's too advanced, and he's just not hitting. And, and they try everything they can do, the Atlanta Braves do, to, to, you know, to help him through this. And he's just, he's just it's too high a level for him. He can't make it. And he, he's on the phone with his father after a game, and he says, I, I, I think I better quit because I'm, I'm just not going to make it. And his father says to him, well, you can quit, but you'll never be welcome in my home again. <laughs> and then the father says, you can call home once every year on Christmas, but I won't answer the phone. Oh. And, and, I mean, this, this is the mentality. So, of course, you know, he's going to approach his life. You know, this is what, this is what he was brought up with. This is right. what he believed. And he didn't quit. He fought his way through and, until the Braves, of course, released him because he couldn't hit. But he never quit. He never walked away. And so, you know, n- most of us didn't grow up with, with Urban Meyer's father, but we, but we grew up in a culture that celebrates effort. Nobody, nobody anywhere celebrates, well, I tried 75%. You know, nobody. You know, right. That's not the culture. So, of course, we all adopt it as as what we're supposed to be doing. And sometimes we just want to. We feel like moving and being active, even if it's wrong, it's still better than standing there and not doing anything. Absolutely. You know, the the frustration level of of thinking that you know I'm I'm not doing something is 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 overwhelming. But of course, you know, one of the things that that just happens to be the case when you attack a problem with everything you have is, you know, you can quite easily make things worse. And, and <laughs> you know, reality requires us to, to try and come at this a different way. Isn't it also difficult? It seems like a lot of times when you're trying to solve a problem, you're not doing it alone. You have other people giving you advice and sometimes, you know, your need to please them or your need, your belief that they know what they're talking about might lead you astray as well. Absolutely. And, and it's one of the things that I write about that, you know, if you're going to go at things, solutions first, instead of problems first, that you're going to have to accept the cost of that, which is the people around you are going to see problems first. And odds are the first thing they're going to say to your solution is that uh, that can't work. Let me tell you why. And so, you know, one of the reasons why Spielberg made it through and made Jaws is he didn't ask permission. He didn't go to the studio and say, the shark is broken. Can I make the movie without the shark? He just kept making the movie. And I mean, that's part of how it happened. He didn't stop um, and let let a committee say why this would never work. Um, you know, one of the, um, you know, one of the, the examples I write about in the book that, that, that fascinates me is a, a fellow by the name of Philip Schultz. He's a, uh, he's a decorated American poet. And as a child, he was profoundly dyslexic and he couldn't read and you know his parents took him to all kinds of schools and all kinds of specialists and tutors and they all threw up their hands and said well you can't read and it works out that he never made it to reading until he got away from all those people who were telling them that he couldn't do it and he actually you know somewhat ingeniously um out of desperation kind of kind of created in his own mind an alter ego and, and he let the alter ego go about the task of trying to learn to read. And hmm. so instead of focusing on, oh, poor Philip Schultz who can't read and, and you know, who everybody laughs at, you know, he created this alter ego and, and let the alter ego sit literally by himself and, and, and fight his way through and try and associate you know, the things he was reading with the, the words he'd heard out loud. And, and he teaches himself to read and, and beyond that goes on to become 
you know, a, a decorated poet. And, you know, this is what, this is the essence of it. You know, you have to be willing to think about a solution and then you have to be willing to um, let the rest of the world catch up to you because you're going to be ahead of them. Right. Yeah, right. And, and sometimes I guess you just have to find that confidence inside first and then, um, you know, then let everyone else in. Well, it helps, you know, I, I mentioned a lot of, of little studies that it helps sometimes to step outside of yourself and, you know, look at things just from a different angle. Don't feel sort of trapped by the way you have always looked at something. And, and there's, there's lots of these, these little studies that have given people uh, different creativity tests and shows very clearly, you, you know, you want a creative idea today at work, you want to do something you've never done before, get out of your cubicle. Just physically get out of it. You know, when you're trying to come up with a solution, get out of the space you normally occupy. You'll be more creative because you're not surrounded by these physical limits. You know, you want to you come up with a solution today. Um, research clearly shows it helps to do some things out of order. So, you know, instead of putting the, the peanut butter on the sandwich first, put the jelly on. Instead of taking the exact same route to work, go, go, you know, go the, the, take the left turn instead of always going right. You'll be more creative because you're not set in the standard set of responses and you're not set in that standard set of geography. That's pretty cool. I mean, and they're basic. That's what I love about what you do, David. You take just the research that we hear a million different studies and you combine them all together in one book, in one issue. You've done other books as well, 100 Simple Secrets to Happy People, 100 Simple Secrets of Successful People. The website is davidniven.com. David, thanks so much for being with us and teaching us. Matt, it was my pleasure. Great stuff. And let's start solving some problems for heaven's sakes, folks. Be different and mix it up. And don't worry about the shark. That's such great advice. Focus on the other 100 things that would make the movie work, Steven Spielberg. I think he figured it out. Now he's solving problems all the time. Interesting stuff. Folks, let's take a break. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you live longer, love stronger. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, friends. Welcome to the program. Dr. Matt here. Hour number three of the show. If you've happened to miss any of the earlier hours, it's easy. You go to iTunes, Stitcher, go to BYURadio.org. And you can download any of our past shows. We have about 1,420 of them or so. But who's counting? Well, no, no, we're counting, actually. Really? That's how I knew that number. Are you still counting the Olympic gold medal wins, by the way? No. I'm trying to, I'm trying to not be the typical American that is all about, we're better. We have more gold. But isn't every country doing that? Yeah, but I think it's the wrong spirit. The Although, right spirit is that uh, North Korea is now being really nice to South Korea. South Korea is being nice to North Korea. That's the real spirit yeah. of this. There might be some countries out there that uh, are taking a look. Instead of seeing how many gold medals all these other countries have, they'll just say, oh, we, we got one. We got one. It may be bronze, but we got one. <laughs> That's it. So, I mean, some countries would just love to get a medal, right? Like, I don't know. 
the uh, a bobsled team from some Caribbean country. Jamaica. Jamaica, man. Have you been to Jamaica? Uh, no, but I've seen cool it's runnings. Beautiful. Yeah, so it's almost like being there. Yeah. So the Olympics are on. Uh, some pretty fun stories coming out of that. Uh, apparently, uh, we we won a snowboarding medal in the in the women's snowboarding, mm-hmm. and um, uh, also uh, Sean White is is getting closer to maybe meddling and getting a gold medal in the on the male side of that. So that's kind of cool. I mean, this is fun. When do you know that you've made it? Is it when you have your own gum? As Sean White does. Does he have his own gum? He's got his own gum. I thought we all had gums. Anyway, we've got... Whoa. Whoa now. Well, people are mad. Hey, uh, we've got a great show. We will be talking about uh, dieting, or not dieting, but fasting. Intermittent fasting. How uh, having a little uh, break in your eating on a regular basis might actually help you. I have like four hours in between my eating. That's so am I fasting? That's probably not a fast. Okay. Yeah. And um, by the way, is breakfast the best? Is is it the most important meal of the day? That's a great question. Some would say it might be better to give your body a full 12 hours. But that's the one meal that I have the least time for. Yeah. So I'm getting, I didn't you know, even have breakfast grab today. and go stuff or stuff that I've had to prepare the night before. Mm-hmm. So it's not like this big spread like dinner tends to be. Yeah. I don't even get a big, big spread for dinner. I hardly eat and I'm gaining weight. It's ugly. That comes with the age, though. That's an age thing. <sighs> don't don't be too down on yourself. He's always bringing up my age. Actually, I believe you're the one that's always bringing up your age. <laughs> We just pile on. Yeah. It's kind of rude. Well, we'll get to that. Uh, intermittent fasting. I have a hard time fasting. I fast once a month hmm. for religious purposes. And it's uh, pretty hard. A lot of times, you know, it's hard to remember. Makes the day really slow. Yeah. Which in, you know, other ways of looking at the word fast is kind of odd. But, you know, yeah. what are you going to do? That's the irony. Fast is slow, and the slow is fast. So we'll get to all that. Uh, of course, Ron Hager will be joining us, the health evangelist from Brigham Young University. We'll get to that, but uh, it's always fun, too, because this usually means Terry's going to bring up some junk food today. Oh, I have plenty. Oh, good. So let's get to the headlines, Terry. What should we be focusing on? Uh, speaking of food, the Trump administration is putting is pushing to scrap the food stamps program for low-income people and replace it with boxes full of government-picked, non-perishable food items, political reports. The proposal, touted by the White House Budget Director Mick Mulvaney, is a blue apron-type program, was included in the White House's hmm. 2019 fiscal budget released on Monday. The plan would slash the amount of money low-income families receive as part of the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program, or SNAP, yeah. For a, a product dubbed America's Harvest Box. Okay. So no. instead of a check, they will get a harvest box full of food, and that will, uh, you know, th- that will help them eat healthier and also lower the cost of money given to them. Well, that- won't it also prevent them from spending that money on things that they don't really need? Well, that's probably, but the assumption would also be that who should decide what I need but me. Yeah, well, you know, the the party that's against government overreach is 
seeing there, the overreach here. Weren't there people that were using government-issued funds to go gambling? Isn't that crossing the line a little? I mean, but if you can again, triple your government funds. <laughs> these are isolated instances that always yeah. get pointed as. They're not widespread. They're right. not everywhere. Most people are using them as intended, but we're going to pull out the well, anomaly and point out that is, that is the reason to change the entire program. It, it's hard because the government, that's that's one, that's a, that's a big thing. In the church, the LDS church, we give a lot of subsidies out, but it's not cash. What they, they do give you... You can go to a storehouse and pick the food you want, pick the food mm-hmm. you need so it matches your family. Not Get, just a box. Getting a box may not match your family, but... Hmm. It says the box will include staples like shelf-stable uh, milk, peanut butter, canned fruits, meats, and cereal. While the USDA claims the plan would save the government $129 billion over the next decade, critics have panned it as reminiscent of wartime rations. The logistics hmm. of the proposal were also unclear, with critics questioning how the boxes would be distributed in rural areas and how families with special dietary needs would be accommodated. But this this would be – this would kind of, I guess, be in lieu of food stamps. Mm-hmm. You would get a food box. Right. And maybe on the food box you'd fill out all the information like, we have four kids. They really like sugary cereals. I'm guessing they're not going to hire that caterer that they no. uh, made the mistake of hiring before. That woman in Atlanta will not get another contract. Uh, but she's had four of them now that have been you know, canceled, so maybe yeah. she'll get another one. President Donald Trump's budget for fiscal year 2019 includes $10 million for uh, special counsel Robert Mueller's investigation into Russian election meddling. Really? Possible Trump-Russia collusion. The figure, which matches the office's current budget, suggests the probe is likely to last well into 2019, despite White House officials' public pronouncements that the investigation would wrap up soon. Yeah. So, so just giving you, you know, something to look forward to for the rest of the year. Bah. More of the same. Yeah. The Senate begins immigration uh, debates uh, on legis- immigration legislation this week with Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell, uh, McConnell announcing that he supports President Trump's fair compromise for 1.8 million immigrants known as Dreamers. The compassionate resolution would give Dreamers legal protection but limit other forms of legal immigration which is a non-starter for Democrats, CNBC reports. The Secure and Succeed Act of 2018, introduced by Senator Tom Cotton, perhaps is the closest proposal which has been requested by Trump. The bill would provide a path to citizenship for DACA beneficiaries, but also allocate $25 billion for border security, eliminating the diversity visa lottery and drastically curtailing so-called chain immigration. Yeah. Family-based immigrant visas to spouses and unmarried children younger than 18. So more of the same. Yeah. We're having negotiations. Everyone brings up things that everybody else doesn't want to deal with. And again, it's almost like they they want to just poison the well Mm. so we have to go back to the drawing board. Yes. Why can't we just – it seems like better legislation would be like one thing at a time. I think we already know what the other side is going to say no to, so why are we starting with that? Yeah, let's not start – You already know this information. Move on to a new thing. There's a book called Getting to Yes, but that would be Getting to No. Yeah. The fastest way to get to no is start with what they don't want. Wall Street Journal reports that Amazon is uh, looking at setting up a full-scale national delivery service to compete with FedEx and UPS. Really? As well as the Postal Service. Why? The rollout won't be immediate. It'll first launch in L.A. following a trial that began over a year ago with an expansion to more cities later this year. Um, they've slowly already set up their own warehousing system in many big cities across the country. 
And they have random people in their minivans dropping packages off at your house. Oh, they're already doing that. Yeah, so now they could just make it official, hire drivers, put them in a truck, and deliver the packages. They're already shipping to their own facilities. Yeah. So it's already, the the infrastructure's already been built. Now they can do their own trucks, and you you cut out. You keep thinking that Amazon's losing it, but then they keep being, they're the biggest, what, he's the richest man now, Mm -hmm. and... It seems to be working, but I don't know that you want to try to compete with UPS when UPS does it so well. Well, when you create your own volume, you don't have to worry about where the packages are coming from, right? People are ordering them from you. Right. So you just put your packages in trucks and deliver them instead of handing them off to somebody else and paying them to do that. No, I know, but that seems really easier said than done. Sure. They'll you, figure out a way. Have, you actually have to buy the trucks. But that's also why you start the small trucks. and see if it works. If it doesn't work, then you just leave the system yeah, the way it start, is. Because remember, they were doing stores too, right? Yeah. Local stores. How are those going, by the way? There's a few out there. I guess that's the thing. With this much money, you just test everything. Lots of testing. So that's all this is. But it could roll out into something else. I want to test more. And in honor of our next guest, Ron Hager. Yeah. And his desire for everyone to be more healthy. Why did you say it that way? Because people listen and go, yeah, it's great. Then they don't do it. Because that's the You're way. You're as healthy as they come. The American way is to want to be healthy, to talk about wanting to be healthy, yeah. and then to not be healthy. Yeah, then to but to do it over like I should a really plate exercise more while you eat the nachos. Like, have you ever met somebody that will not stop talking about nachos? Yes, he works here. Drives me crazy. So uh, there's a place in New York. It's called the Sticky Finger Joint. <laughs> oh, jeez. Uh, they uh, they have gourmet chicken finger oriented. It's, they they describe it as a, chi- a gourmet chicken finger oriented mini chain. Hmm. So no. they have chicken fingers. Okay. They have crazy sauces like sriracha ranch. Yeah. And they have something called Grandma's Gravy because it's chicken fingers. You can dip them in gravy, and it's probably you know really good Grandma's for you. Grandma's fingers? Grandma's gravy. <laughs> That's yeah. worse. So, yeah, I know. Um, but uh, the thing they have on the menu that is apparently the most sought after is called s'mores fries. Uh, so, s'mores fries. As it says, the best part of camping on crispy French fries. What? So you got s'more fries. That is gross. They're drizzled with lots of chocolate and marshmallow sauces, then topped with graham crackers and more marshmallows. No. It's all... Oh, so it's like a baked potato with... Chocolate and marshmallows. That's gross. With graham crackers. No, I mean, I don't... I love a good s'more. S'more. But I don't want it on fries. Well, have you tried it before? No. Give it one shot. No. It might surprise you. Okay, I will. That's how I found a lot of flavor combinations. Just give it a shot. Look at the fridge. Say, I've never tried that with that, and then eat it. Mm, give it no? Okay. Right. Uh, the Florida State Fair is ongoing, apparently. Really? And they have, uh, it's warm yeah, in Florida, so they, they can have do the State that. Fair. Uh, so, they, of course, State Fair has State Fair food. Yeah. They have a Southern uh, Catfish Sunday. Hand-cut French fries, Southern fried catfish, and slightly spicy... Romalade sauce or a tangy tartar sauce. I'm not sure how it's a sundae because that implies ice cream. This sounds like French fries with fish. <sighs> That's fish and chips, basically. Basically, but they call it a sundae. Maybe they, they put a cherry on top. Just have it on Sunday. Uh, barbecue pulled pork ribbon fries, mm. ribbon cut potatoes. Sounds good. With topped uh, with warm cheddar cheese, sour cream, cooked bacon, hickory smoked pulled pork, and sweet barbecue sauce. Mm. Yes. Now that sounds right. Healthy. Lots of, pro- lots of protein in lots there. Lots of fry there. Lots Just of fry. Just focus on the one element that's good. 
the protein. Uh, deep fried strawberry shortcake. Oh. I could go for that. So you make I would a... try it. I wouldn't. I wouldn't like it, but I would try it. <laughs> I mean, I'll try it. It would be so gross, but I know, I'd eat it totally. Be, I'd make me so sick. strawberry shortcake dipped in a deep fryer, ah. and then covered in frosting and strawberry. I'll, yeah. Okay, and I'll it, try one of those. It's also on a stick, of course. Because it's the state fair, right? Everything's, Everything's on a stick. stick. Uh, let's see here. Banana funnel cake. Mm. Banana spices blended in the cake batter, fried to a golden brown, topped with custard, bananas, and your choice of chocolate or caramel. That sounds delicious. Yeah. So not crazy. And then the chicken and waffles pizza. Oh. Uh, mm. But people, they, they just have a really interesting taste about chicken and waffles. They just love that. So you got syrup-based pie topped with fried chicken, waffle pieces, bacon, mozzarella, and more syrup. You know what? Because I want to be a friend <laughs> of Florida, I would try all of that. <laughs> I I care about Floridians enough to try their fair, their but fair fair. They don't mention the caloric values nah, of these items why would because you? why would you? Why would you? At this point, it's like just right? give in and I go mean, with it. You're going to die. Does yeah. it matter if you die today or tonight? You can die it tomorrow, or apparently no. There never. won't be tomorrow no. if you eat this. <laughs> there will be no tomorrow. Wow. Okay, that's heavy. Literally. It'll sit heavy in your stomach too. Yeah, it's maybe it's. I don't know. It just seems like that's not right. I love it when you have dishes like these that bother to put the caloric intake. You know, like here are the number of calories in this <laughs> gut buster. Yeah, it's like haven't we decided ahead of time we're not going to pay attention to that because if we don't know, you know, ignorance is bliss. It's actually not. Ignorance is your fast track to death. I don't I'm not familiar with that saying. That's the lesser known ignorance okay. saying. <laughs> maybe maybe I'm so hung up on ignorance is bliss and I because I don't want to know about that one. It's not bliss when you have to go have bypass surgery. I wouldn't know. I haven't had it yet. Give it some time. You will. Not you. The general you. <laughs> uh, up next, our very own Ron Hager will be joining us. He is the health evangelist, and he's going to be talking about fasting, and uh, we're going to get his take on funnel cakes and all the fatness of all that stuff. It's really not good for you, folks. I'm trying to help you live longer here on the show, and yet Terry keeps bringing in these death bullets. We'll continue the joy. It's straight ahead. This is the Matt Townsend Show. I'm ready, and I uh, hope you're all ready. Dr. Ron Hager is joining us. Ron is an associate professor of exercise sciences in the College of Life Sciences right here at Brigham Young University. His expertise is in chronic disease prevention. He's called the health evangelist, used to be the death preventer, but that was a task that he couldn't He couldn't stop everyone's death. I like the idea of the death bullets. You mentioned yeah, that, too. Yeah, death bullets. Uh, death bullets. And you can only take yeah. so many bullets. Yeah, or you, know, or you can... You know, live right, and it's kind of like putting on your death bulletproof vest, right? See, that's a great way to look at it. Yeah. And just, or just like get out of a profession where, or get out of the place where they're shooting bullets at you. <laughs> yeah, that's a good idea, too. Uh, Ron's here today to talk about um, intermittent fasting. Yeah. 
yeah, as I, a health I, as a health approach. I've gotten more and more questions about this uh, recently in my class and uh, from other other people, and it, it's not something that's like brand new. No, uh, but it's fairly new for for people, uh, you know. I guess who haven't haven't heard about it. Um, of course, intermittent fasting sort of implies, you know, that if you fast for a while, and then you don't fast for a while, right? It's right. intermittent. Right. So, so I so I tried this, and the the approach I like the best is to eat for an hour, <laughs> and then take an hour off, and then eat for an hour. And then That's take how an Jeff hour does off. it too. But his yeah. is different. He 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 doesn't even call it eating. He just says nachoing. Nachoing. <laughs> For an hour and then not nachoing for an hour. It's kind of a weird diet. Yeah. But the idea, though, is uh, to to take long time or a, like a long span of time. Uh-huh. Some will even say 12 hours between dinner and breakfast. Yeah. Yeah, there, there's a number of different approaches. Now, if you think about this concept of fasting and you go, uh, obviously, you know, in today's world, uh, and especially, you know, like in countries like the United States, yeah. uh, for the most part, food is available 24-7. I mean, there isn't really any downtime. But if you go back to our ancestors, and particularly maybe even our ancient ancestors, right? Uh, you know, they, they may have fasted, you know, uh, because they didn't have any other choice, right? There yeah. were periods of feasting and periods of fasting relative to, uh, you know, the seasons or, uh, you know, natural disasters or, you know, or something like that. Um, so, so fasting has been around a long time. And then even kind of culturally from say like religious perspectives, uh, different, different religious, uh, groups, Islam, Buddhism, Christianity, they, they oftentimes have some mandate associated right. with periodic fasting. Um, so <clears throat> whether it's out of necessity or attached to some type of, uh, cultural practice, fasting is not something that's brand new, but what, what is more brand new is this idea of uh, and this and this behavior of of eating all the time because mm. food is so readily available. I mean, we have foods with long shelf life. We have well, we have refrigerators. We have stores that are open twenty four yeah. hours a day, seven days a week. Um, and so, environmentally, we've had that kind of a change. Uh, and and the research is sort of indicating that. This constant supply of food may not be may not be optimal. It may you know genetically, right. you know, that's not who we are. That's not what we're designed to do. So it's been you're, yeah. You think your body would be a more nat? You would eat when you're hungry. You'd probably have to eat back in the day. You'd have to eat when I mean you didn't. I guess you'd carry an apple. <laughs> Maybe like I mean whatever food was portable, you'd carry it. But you'd have to kill something before you eat it, and to kill something would be pretty exhausting so you'd time sure. it all out and right. you would probably eat a lot less. Yeah. Yeah, so there's there's been this effort not only in research but in practice to try and figure out, you know, does fasting make a difference? And right. there's there's a number of different I guess what you might call fasting methods or fasting protocols. Probably the most common is uh kind of something you mentioned, you know, just like like taking 12 hours out of your day and right. not eating. Of course, if you're doing that at night while you're sleeping, you know, that that makes it a lot easier. Right. That's but, an easy fast. Yeah. But probably probably the most common method is called the 16-8 method. Yeah. So you go 16 hours fasting and you have an eight-hour window where you eat. And a lot of people who do that only eat two meals a day. So they their last meal is at eight or nine o'clock at night uh, and then they don't eat anything 
until uh, the next day at maybe around uh, one or two o'clock uh, past noon. Hmm. Uh, and so they would have that would so 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 that would be their lunch, and then yeah. they would have again their dinner at you know eight o'clock at night, and so they go sixteen hours without That's eating. That's pretty cool. I mean, but then what about breakfast? Yeah, so they're most important meal of the day. Yeah, well, uh, I I can't remember if we've talked about that on this show yeah. before, but I think we have. Uh, you know, breakfast is kind of a modern day concoction, yeah. right? Uh, and it was originally. You know, had something to do with uh, promoting bacon consumption. That's right. That's right. <laughs> yeah. The bacon, the bacon uh, marketing department was like, "Hey, yeah. we've got to push more bacon." Yeah. How can we do that? Well, let's say it's great for breakfast. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I mean, there is some evidence to show that, you know, people who eat on a routine schedule, you know, yeah. like they have, you know, breakfast at this time, lunch at this time, dinner at this time, that they tend to fare better in terms of managing their weight and their overall health. Um, you know, and and that that obviously implies too that they have a regular sleep schedule. Right. You know that their their whole twenty four hour day, uh, across days, across weeks, across months is fairly routine. Um, but but there's there there's also evidence to show that you know breakfast is not the most important meal of the day. No, and that you can get by just fine without it. And that this sixteen hour fast uh, puts a person in a a mild state of what's called ketosis. Yeah, and this is where. Uh, you know, because you don't have this constant supply or, uh, you know, replenishing your storage of carbohydrate. Carbohydrate is the energy source your body uses most easily. But if you fast for 16 hours, then your body, you know, uses those carbohydrate stores. And then once those are gone, then your body starts to break down fat. Which is... For energy, which is a good thing, right? And, 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 and fat metabolism uh, creates this uh, condition of ketosis, and ketone bodies can actually be used for energy as well. And some of the greatest, uh, you know, most, uh, I guess, uh, exciting research is showing that uh, this is particularly useful for brain health. Oh yeah, interesting. Yeah, and it's uh, there's been a lot of research done with this and with respect to Alzheimer's disease, uh, you know, which is becoming, if not already, becoming a very scary, right, you know, condition and problem. You well, especially know. as our population is aging. And yeah, do you um, do you believe in this theory about that? You know, by neglecting your body and not like staying in a consistent rhythm of eating, though that. Your body would also switch and say, "Hey, we need to conserve more. So yeah. don't burn as much as you used to burn. Yeah. Just conserve." Yeah, yeah. There, it, it it can affect your metabolism. Yeah. Uh, uh, even in the short term, and and even a lot of people will say, you know, if they try the sixteen eight method, they'll say, you know, wow, that you know the, the hunger was too much for me to bear. Uh, so you know that might be a little extreme, at least initially. But what is being found is that if you ease into it. Maybe instead of doing, uh, you know, 16-8, maybe do 12-12. Yeah. Don't uh, shock uh, your body. Right. And, and, and then maybe do 14-10. Mm-hmm. Uh, and figure out what works for you. And and then it also helps then to, I guess, um, establish a new sort of metabolic pattern yeah. that, that, that you become used to. And that it, and then and then it starts to work for you. Now, you know, this isn't for everybody. And there's, like I said, there's different methods. There's also the eat, stop, eat method where you fast for 24 hours. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, maybe two times a week. 
Uh, wow, that's a yeah. two times a week. That plus just boy, that would be yeah. So some maybe on you know, yeah. So too. maybe on like Monday and Thursday, you know, yeah. you are your two your two days, and then the other five days of the week are just normal. Uh, there's also something called the fast the, or the five two method. Um, this is where you you fast, uh, sort of a pseudo fast. You actually go on a, a a pretty tight caloric restriction. You know, five to six hundred calories a day hmm. is all, and you do that. Um, you know, two consecutive days. So you know, you may do it on a Wednesday and a Thursday, or a Monday and a Tuesday. Yeah, and then then the other five days of the week, uh, you just eat normally. Um, so but a lot of what you're saying here, though, is um, there's this assumption. It's probably very. It's not even an assumption that we. We we're in charge of this. Sure. Yeah. It's not our body or our schedule or our clock or the manufacturers that get to decide this. Right. We yeah. do. Yeah. And and I I think the the problem that that has been created from a societal or a cultural perspective, like I said, is whether you know I'm not saying it was intentional, but uh, we just live in a world where we can eat anytime we feel like eating. Right. And 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 sort of unconsciously almost we've just sort of fallen into that uh pattern and it, and it and it, you know it's it's probably not optimal well it's not optimal no. for us at all um and and there there are a number of benefits you know so you know why does this work why why does intermittent fasting matter well there's yeah. uh you know with the uh, with the human genome project and you know mapping the entire human genome lots of things have been discovered relative to how we work genetically. And so there are, you know, there there have been discoveries of of genes that, you know, uh, actually express properly uh, and and for for our benefit uh, in states of fasting. Yeah. Um, You know, and so if we never fast, then those genes uh, either misexpress or don't don't express properly. Uh, And some of that has to do with uh, neuroprotection. So you go back to this brain health. Yeah. Um, fasting tends to uh, uh, elicit a, a neuroprotection type of a response um, and also neurogenesis development yeah, the of, of, of new uh, you know, brain cells or neurons. And that, that occurs in, in a fasting state. The, the body also, in a fasting state, uh, certain, certain genes express and it facilitates um, kind of uh, cleaning out hmm. the old uh, stuff, you know, like mitochondria that are worn out. Right. Uh, and, and it's, uh, it's called autophagy where the, uh, the, the body takes care of the old and replaces it with the new. It's like, it's like a Zamboni kind on of, the ice. Yeah, yeah just, just going over the ice. through yeah. the mitochondria, yeah. melts it out. Yeah, so, you know, in, in between... You know, a certain amount of time, yeah, the, the Zamboni comes out and smooths <laughs> everything over. Um, now, I also, I mentioned that, you know, if you deplete your carbohydrate stores, then your body will turn to fat. So right. it's, it's, a, it's a great way to mobilize the fat stores and use fat uh, for energy, which is what your body is supposed to totally. do. And, you know, if you look back historically, Matt, uh, you look at uh, macronutrient composition of diet, uh, you know, today, it, granted, it's, you know, most people are on a fairly high carbohydrate diet. But you go back, uh, you know, not so many years ago, uh, and in many cases, carbohydrate was not the main 
source of energy, Mm-mm. protein and fat. Or, yeah. Yeah. Wow, so, really? Yeah. Yeah. So this type of uh, fasting has also been shown to improve insulin sensitivity. Now, type 2 diabetes associated with the obesity epidemic is, is a real problem. Yeah. And, and that, that uh, happens primarily due to uh, insulin insensitivity. You know, your body produces insulin, but uh, the cells are not sensitive to it, so it doesn't really work. So that signals your body to produce more insulin. Right. And, and insulin actually can, it's kind of like fertilizer for fat cells. It actually promotes fat storage. Oh, it does. Yeah, so it, it's doing the exact opposite of what, you know, you would want uh, to happen. I mentioned the gene expression and facilitating, you know, repair processes and so forth in the body. Um, now, one of the concerns, you know, a lot of people want to lose weight. You know, we're definitely an overweight and obese society. Uh, a lot of people want to lose weight. The, 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 the first, uh, you know, choice in that effort typically is calorie restriction, yeah. you know, low-calorie diets. One of the concerns with that is that people also lose lean body mass, uh, and that's not a good thing. You want to preserve your lean body mass. Right. And these intermittent fasting studies have shown that intermittent fasting over, you know, versus calorie restriction alone uh, tends to preserve lean body mass Does better. Does it really? Yeah. So that so that's actually a good thing. You want to you want to keep your muscle mass. You don't want that it's, to go away. Isn't that interesting? And but like these um, like these age old religions that have been promoting fasting, they they also have been promoting a health code really yeah. too, and yeah. a way to keep your mind cleaner and stronger, as well as allowing the spirit to have time to grow. Sure, and that's an interesting perspective as well. Because to, in today's world where we have so much information available to us, we want to know why. Yeah. Right? It's got to, well, if I'm going to fast, what's the benefit? Why? Where's the science right. to prove it? And and that, you know, you go back, like you said, in ancient times, maybe people just did things uh, because that that's, uh, I guess, common sense. Yeah. Told them, you know, that right. that works. And they didn't have any scientific evidence to know those things. Um, but, I mean, you can go back to the times of, um, you know, uh, I mean, even ancient physicians, uh, you know, uh, the, the world of Plato, you know, he, uh, he, he, through observation, recognized that the things people ate made a difference in their health. Absolutely. You know, so you don't necessarily have to have, you know, extensive studies and research. You know, you, you can learn things from observation. In fact, that's the way a lot of things were learned in the old days. Well, maybe it was maybe a, a little slower world gave you a little more time to actually notice what you were feeling. Yeah, to, to, and to, to, thinking. To, yeah, to have an awareness. Yeah, how great to know. Oh, you know, I'm not even hungry. Yeah. So thanks for the thanks for giving me a fig, but I'm not even hungry right now. Right. Now I'll are, save the fig for later. <laughs> there are some downsides to this as well, and some reasons people might you know be cautious about it. Um, fasting. Uh, or any kind of change in a diet pattern could actually be a trigger for people who have uh, had to deal with eating disorders. Hmm. You know, so you, you might have to be careful with uh, something like that. Or if a person has a you know a chronic history of being underweight, right? Uh, you know that that medically and and from a health perspective may not be you know, intermittent fasting may not be the best approach to eating for them. Uh, if a if a woman's pregnant or breastfeeding. You know, intermittent fasting may not may not, may be, not be optimal, or 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 certain medications. You know that a person needs to be on that are best taken with food. You know, and sometimes they have to take these medications at routine intervals throughout the course of a twenty four hour period. Right, and so 
so, you know, there are reasons uh, why, you know, people may not want to do this. Uh, I came across one study that uh, showed that intermittent fasting uh, or fasting of any kind can complicate low blood pressure. Some people have a, a condition of low blood pressure, which from a, a health perspective isn't, you know, like a chronic disease perspective isn't really an issue, but um, but it can it can cause some other problems. And, you know, if you're fasting, it, it can compound you know, oh, yeah, the, no, the, the effects of low blood pressure. Sure. Um, so you, you already mentioned this, but people need to figure out what works best for them. Uh, but, you know, I... I I I personally think that at least a at least a twelve hour fast every day is appropriate, and that of course that includes your sleeping time. Hmm. You know, so I would recommend people not eat. You know, that their last meal is within three hours of going to bed. You know, so if if they're if they're planning on going to bed at midnight, then you know their last meal, uh, you know, would be at nine o'clock at night or something like so that. So the nine to nine, you just don't eat. Right. Exactly. And and, and I think that's a great a great place to start. Uh, but this, but this idea of, you know, eating up to the time you go to bed. Some people even get up in the middle of the night feeling hungry, and they go <laughs> eat something, and then they get up and first thing in the morning they eat something. Oh wow! Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I, I don't think based on the research I've done, based on the studies that are out there, uh, and even common sense tells mm-hmm. you that that's probably not optimal. No. Yeah. Um, so, one of the concerns I do have, and as I looked in more and more into intermittent eating, many of these methods or these approaches. Uh, don't they? They, they kind of tell you uh, when to eat and when not to eat, but they don't say anything about what to what eat. What to eat? And and I think that's an an important issue. In fact, some of them that I came across said basically eat whatever you want. Oh. just in the window of opportunity. Stick with your fasting eating guidelines. Yeah. But when you're eating, it doesn't matter what you eat. And I completely. Uh, disagree with that. So, right. I, so I thought I'd just share yeah, a few things a on, on this idea of quality of food. Uh, it, I mean, it doesn't make sense, right, that if you're going to put garbage in your mouth, that somehow that's okay. Right. So quality is always going to be an issue. So uh, based on the best evidence that I've, that I've come across, uh, a, a, a plant-based diet with emphasis on vegetables, especially non-starchy vegetables, is going to be the best way to go. Now, that doesn't mean you have to be vegetarian or vegan, uh, it's just that meat is the condiment, not the main course. Right. And that you you go back in time, and that's really the way people used to eat. Oh yeah. It, it's just been this this tra- this cultural environmental transition that we've gone through that, you know, the current generation doesn't even recognize that. Uh, you know, for them, meat is the center of the meal, and the vegetables, you know, are the condiments. But it needs to be just the opposite. Um, and eat as many colors as you possibly can. You know, from deep green to bright orange. In terms of the fruits and vegetables, and remember to focus on the vegetables. Um, avoid fruit juices in, yep. in favor of whole fruits. Right. You know, you want some orange juice, just eat the orange. You know, it's got plenty of juice in it. Plus, you get all the fiber. Fiber has also been, uh, you know, implicated for health. Yeah. Like, uh, it, like you know, increasing insulin demand. You know, fiber can help with with things like that. Avoid simple carbohydrates. We've talked about this right. to a great extent. Re, you know, refined and processed grains. Uh, you know, too little fiber in your diet. And there are a number of detoxifying plants. Now, we just recently talked about this detox diet kind of a thing. And, you know, I, I'm not a big fan of, you know, the detox kits that you buy in, right. the, in the health food store. Uh, but there are certain plants like cilantro and uh, cruciferous vegetables like cauliflower, broccoli, even some kinds of cabbage, kale, radishes, Brussels sprouts, 
turnips, all of these kinds of things, avocados, artichokes, beets, garlic, ginger, grapefruit, lemons, olive oil, seaweed. These have all been shown to have uh, detoxifying effects in the body. Um, uh, and then, then I came across something very interesting. I just want to mention this quickly. Yeah. Uh, the Dirty Dozen and the Clean 15. Huh. Uh, I, I thought this might be useful for people out there. Um, the Dirty Dozen uh, are the the top 12 most sprayed fruits and vegetables. And when I say sprayed, I mean like with yeah. pesticides. Yeah, right. Uh, so, you know, if you're going to eat these, purchase as organic options when possible. Yeah. Uh, I know that's not always possible, but apples, celery, tomatoes, cucumbers, grapes, nectarines, peaches, potatoes, spinach, strawberries, blueberries, and sweet bell Man, peppers. See, those are all my favorites. Those are all the best, right? But those are the dirty. most sprayed. <laughs> yeah, they're, 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 they're the dirty dozen. Dirty dozen. And then the clean 15 are the least sprayed fruits okay. and vegetables. Onions, avocados, uh, sweet corn, pineapple, mango, sweet peas, eggplant, cauliflower, asparagus, kiwi, cabbage, watermelon, grapefruit, sweet potatoes, and mm. honeydew melon. So there, See, are a lot of, there are a lot of good things on that list, too. That's good. And that's, again, but try the 12-hour fast you're suggesting. Sure. And then, you know, load up with some healthy vegetables and fruits and, yeah. and protein as a kind of an appetizer. Yeah. Or and as and, a and, and it, when, a person, when a person starts this, initially they... They have feelings of hunger, fatigue, weakness, and and you know that that's enough for some people to say, yeah, this is why I'm not yeah, doing it. It's too much. But what 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 most people find is if they'll if they'll persist and not jump in too deep, too fast. Yeah. And if they'll persist, they can, uh, you know, overcome that, and then they they get this new pattern, and that's really what this is about. This is about a, a developing a new pattern and and something you can do for the rest of your life. Yeah. Which, like extreme calorie restriction, no. is, is something people only this do temporarily. The, this seems like a better approach, I think, to dieting. By, yeah. But not by not dieting, fasting. Yeah. yeah. And so when it comes to you know, this idea of what you should eat, I, I thought of this. If, you're, if your grandmother would not recognize something as food, you probably should not be eating it. <laughs> grandma yeah. didn't know a Twinkie. Yeah, exactly. Or you know, for the younger people, they might have to go back to their great-grandma or something yeah, exactly. like that. But you, you go back a couple generations, Matt, and the, and the diet that people ate back then is completely different from, oh, what, from what we eat today in, in just two generations. Dr. Ron Hager is his name. This is why they call him the, uh, the health evangelist. He's helping us get healthier one fast at a time, a 12-hour fast. Let's try it. 12 hours, not eating anything from dinner to when you eat breakfast. Make it 12 hours and see what that does for you. Also, then fill your day up with healthier foods. Uh, We're here to help you live longer and lead healthier lives. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be back with our good brethren from BYU Sports Nation up next. I, I love a good uh, little bit of King and I before I get down to our good brethren at BYU Sports Nation. Let's get down to the King and I. <laughs> not I, not not me, but I meaning Jerem. Hello, gentlemen. Oh, I'm the King. Well, Hello, you are t- today. You are. Well, wow, thank you. Tomorrow you'll be someone else. Every day we like to throw you a curveball. Be whoever you want to be. The American dream. <laughs> Living the American dream. You are fake news. <laughs> Thank you, Mr. Trump. Like Wrong. A little bit. Hey, here's, uh, here's a question. 
Did you hear what Steve Kerr tried last night with the Golden State Warriors? Did we ever? We will discuss. What a great idea. Just not coaching and then letting, the, letting right. them all coach themselves. Well, they played the Suns, so they didn't need much coaching. <laughs> I didn't well, watch the game. Like 50, so. But who, like, so how do they, uh, that would be interesting. How do they sub in? How do you well, know? Uh, uh, let's talk about it. Bill Russell, uh, for a time, I believe in the 70s, was a player coach. For the Boston Celtics. Was he really? He was the head coach, and he was also playing on the team. That's cool. So he would sub himself out or sub himself in, yeah. But I guess in a way, if everybody kind of knew their role and, you know, you want your starters in there when they need to be. I guess I guess like Steph would say, okay, I really got to get in there again. And then. It's pretty defined. You play this time. To, like, it's pretty predictable. Stockton yeah. and Malone came in and came out at the same times. They're going to play a certain amount of minutes, barring a playoff game. Hmm. It's all about establishing the rotation. It's, yeah, rhythms and cycles of play and sequences and timing of certain quarters and situations. It's by design. Now, a unique thing that happened at the uh, Utah Jazz versus San Antonio Spurs game last night. They had their own moment. Is that typical starting center Rudy Gobert. Mm -hmm. Rudy Gobert. (laughs) He did not come back into the game because Derek Favors was playing well. And the head coach of the Jazz, Quinn Snyder, said, are you cool if I keep Derek Favors in there? And Rudy said with his French, French accent, no, he's playing well, keep yeah. him in there. But he said, course. what do you want to do? Do you want to go back in or do you want to leave Fave in? He left the decision up to his player. That's cool. And he said, no, Fave's playing great. So and the Jazz end up beating the top three in the West Spurs by one. That's amazing. To See, continue their... By two to continue their win streak uh, up to ten. See, they're, they, this is why they're all adults. This is different than when I used to play ball in the church league, and um, they'd always put in the guy, you know, because everyone had to have equal time. But then there was the one guy that couldn't bounce the ball. That was me. Kinda well, sad. that's you got to figure that out. That's that's a you problem. Sorry. sorry. Yeah. <laughs> hey, uh, you guys want to go in or do you want to leave Townsend? In? Oh, I want to go in. <laughs> Let me get him I'm out of there. In church, I'm like, sub, get him out of there. Two turnovers in a row. See ya. I'm like, I'm sweating. Let's go. I'm sweating. I got to get out. Come Tuesday night. Don't come when we're playing with refs. Hey, w- when are you guys? <laughs> when are you guys going to do your show? You're still doing it, right? Today we are doing it. What's uh, on, I believe what's, in six minutes and seven seconds. What's on topic? What are you guys talking about? Oh, we're hanging on to those NCAA tournament dreams, Matt. Oh, boy, really? Not really. What if yeah. BYU basketball wins the next six, including what would be required, two wins over the top two teams in conference? I'm not sure how that will shake two out. Two top 15 Oh, wins, wow, notably. yeah. Notably. But that would be two wins two against— top 50 RPI wins. Teams that are in the top 15 rankings and top 50 RPI. Would that, would that put the Cougars in as an at-large? No. You and Jeremy. I agree with that idea. We'll discuss why. Okay. That's, boy, that's, you guys have had a hard year in sports. We, we haven't. I mean, you as, you guys having to, to, you know, to cut it up and mince it up and make sense of it all. Uh, BYU football is more of a challenge, but we like a challenge. We get uh, bored if it's too easy. I agree. Uh, hoops, hoops has been, this has been the story for BYU the last now three seasons is, uh, likely no at large again, third place in mm. IT. Like that's so there's there's sort of a growing frustration with uh hey, we would like to get back to the NCAA tournament. And yeah. and that's a fair goal Absolutely. for BYU Hoops fans. That's fair. Absolutely. Yeah. Dave, Plus, Dave Rose wins a lot and he's gone to the tournament a lot. Um uh, just hasn't gone the last two seasons and 
barring a uh, West Coast Conference tournament run, it'll be three. Mm. If that's not enough, we've got a guy on the show that Samson would be jealous of in terms of hair. Really? Yep. His oh. name's Talon Alfrey. He's going to play football for BYU. Got oh, some man. nice lettuce. Got some nice lettuce on Yeesh. top of that cabbage. Um, good stuff, guys. Knock them dead. Have a great show. I know you will. And uh, wax on. Wax off. Boy, that's, that has got to be a hard job, don't you think, to, to have to... Having hair like Sam's? No. Uh, oh. uh, go back a little farther um, to <laughs> where how hard it would be to, to sit there and try to make sense of all of the BYU sports problems lately. I mean, the last year, basketball, last three years, they've struggled. Football, last year. Ugh. And that's why we have Spencer and Jerem. I know. I just, I, I, everybody, they're doing their part. They're mixing it up. And they're getting people with really good hair on the show. So that's half the battle right there. Hey, we have got a hero story you're just not going to believe. A burglar and her victim are now friends after a December home invasion in Winnipeg, Manitoba. On that cold winter day, Leah Ross's back door was swinging wide open. Her belongings from her basement were scattered in the upstairs kitchen, and an old jacket she owned was outside in the snow. Ross panicked, called her neighbors and the church across the street and 911. She would soon become even more scared when a young woman showed up at her back door. It was the burglar who was wearing Ross's jacket, sweater, and watch. The first thing she did was take a picture of her and ask, are you going to hurt me? Ross asked her if there was someone else in her home, and the burglar said no. Uh, she explained she had broken in through Ross's basement window and now came back because she forgot her phone and keys inside. The burglar is a 17-year-old girl, and she said she was sorry, and the two leaned in for a hug, and then Ross invited her to sit down at her kitchen table. She didn't have any food in the house. So she gave the young woman um, what she had left, some eggnog and some ginger snaps, and they sat there and talked. Winnipeg police arrived sometime shortly after that. And uh, anyway, the police detective asked Ross if she wanted to press charges. She said no. And the woman basically helped the 17-year-old girl. She says they stay in touch and with the teen, and uh, they're trying to share now their story together to help others be more motivated to serve one another. Powerful story. Hero of the day. That uh, That's all it takes. Uh, Leah Ross, you did it. We appreciate it. And that is the show, my friends. We will be back again tomorrow with more information to help you live longer and love stronger. BYU Sports Nation is straight ahead. 